Hello, and welcome to another episode of Nostalgic Mystery Radio. I'm your host, Stevie Kay, and it's my honor to bring you the radio shows of yesteryear. For this episode, I bring you Agatha Christie's The Sidiford Mystery. In a remote house in the middle of Dartmoor, six shadowy figures huddle around a small table for a seance. Tension rises as the spirits spell out a chilling message. Captain Trevelyan, dead, murder. Is this black magic or simply a macabre joke? The only way to be certain is to locate Captain Trevelyan. Unfortunately, his home is six miles away with snowdrifts blocking the roads. Someone will have to make the journey on foot. So sit back and relax. I hope you enjoy this Nostalgic Mystery Radio. Thank you for listening. Sitterford Mystery by Agatha Christie, dramatized in five parts by Michael Bakewell, with Geoffrey Whitehead as Inspector Narricott. Part 1. The Message. The time is 1931. The place, Dartmoor. Good afternoon, sir. I'm just trying to clear a path to the gate. You're laboring in vain, I'm afraid. Look at the sky. There'll be another fall of snow before long. You're surely not going down to Exhampton in this weather. You'll never get through. I reckon we're pretty near cut off already. No, no, I I fancy Trevelyan will hardly expect me today. I've been invited to Sitterford House. They'll be getting their first real taste of English weather there. I never could understand why they should come all the way from South Africa to freeze to death in the middle of Dartmoor. That's just what Trevelyan said himself, Mrs. Curtis. But they were prepared to pay good money to rent the house from him. He's as happy as a sandboy sitting out the winter in that snug little place in Exhampton. Still, it's good they're asking people round there at last. Mrs. Willett isn't exactly forthcoming. And as for that daughter of hers, she looks downright terrified if you as much as say good morning. Uh, Not yet. Used to our English ways, I expect, Mrs. Curtis. Well, I mustn't keep you shivering in the cold, Major. I hope they've lit all the fires in Setterford House. It's a pretty drafty place at the best of times. Splendid of you to turn out in this weather, Major. Oh, not at all, Mrs. Willett, not at all. It's very good of you to ask me. You know my daughter Violet, I think. Good afternoon, Major. Mr. Garfield is coming, and Mr. Duke, and Mr. Rycroft said he'd come. Though one can hardly expect him at his age, and in such weather. Really, it's too dreadful. One feels one must do something to keep oneself cheerful. Violet, put another log on the fire. Oh, allow me, Miss Violet. 
You've quite transformed the place, Mrs. Willett. I'd scarcely know it is the same room. I've hardly changed a thing, I assure you, Major. Just added a few little pieces here and there. The feminine touch, Uh that sort of thing. Well, Joe's tastes are a bit austere, I suppose. He likes to keep everything ship-shape, like a captain's cabin. (laughs) We were so afraid you wouldn't be able to come. You said there might be difficulty. That was because it's a Friday. Friday? Every Friday I go to Trevelyan's. Tuesday he comes to me. We've done it for years. Of course. Living so close to each other. A kind of habit. But do you still keep it up? I mean, now that the captain's living down in Exhampton. Pity to break a habit. We both of us miss those evenings. You go in for competitions in the papers, don't you? Acrostics and crosswords and all those things. I do crosswords. Trevelyan does acrostics. We each stick to our own line of country. I won three books last month in a crossword competition. Oh, really? How nice. Were they interesting books? Oh, I don't know. I haven't read them. <laughs> look pretty deadly. <laughs> well, it's the winning that matters, isn't it? How'd you get to Exhampton, Major? You haven't got a car. Walk. What? Must be six miles or more. Oh, good exercise. What's 12 miles? Keeps a man fit. Of course. You and Captain Trevelyan were great athletes, weren't you? Used to go to Switzerland together. Winter sports in winter. Climbing in summer. Both too old for that sort of thing nowadays. Looks as though we're due for more snow soon. A pretty heavy fall, too, I should say. Oh, how thrilling. I do think snow is so romantic. I've never seen it before. It isn't romantic when the pipes freeze, you silly child. Have you lived all your life in South Africa? Yes. Yeah. This is the first time I've ever been away. It's almost frightfully thrilling. <laughs> I wouldn't describe winter in a remote Dartmoor village as exactly thrilling, Miss Willie. <laughs> there didn't seem to be anyone about, so we found our own way in. Oh, how lovely to see you, Mr Garfield. I insisted on dragging Mr Rycroft along with me, Mrs Willett. I promised I wouldn't let him be buried in a snowdrift. Uh, yes, good afternoon, Mrs Willett, uh, Miss Violet. I say, this all looks absolutely marvellous. I love an open fire. Yes. Is, uh, is, is Trevelyan coming, uh, Mrs. Willett? No chance, I'm afraid. Oh. Even if the weather weren't so frightful, I don't think he'd come. Mm-hmm. Time and again I've told him to treat the place as if we hadn't rented it. But it's no use. Oh, uh, well, the captain has the reputation of being uh, something of a woman hater. Oh. Yeah, report has it that he was jilted in his youth. Oh, I say. <laughs> Can't we get up some skating somewhere, Miss Willett? There are some ponds not far away. I think path digging will be your only sport. Oh, I've been at it all morning. <laughs> Don't laugh at me. I've got blisters all over my hands. How's your aunt? Oh, she's always the same. Sometimes she says she's better, and sometimes she says she's worse. But I think it's all the same, really. Each year I wonder how I can stick it. But there it is. If one doesn't rally round the old bird, she's quite capable of leaving her money to a cat's home. <laughs> That'll be Mr. Duke. Oh, you've invited Mr. Duke, have you? Have you got anything against it? Of course not. It's just that, well, nobody seems to know anything about him. The mystery man, my aunt calls him. She keeps on hinting that he might be a retired tradesman. Oh, no, I'm sure he's nothing of the kind. Mrs. Willett, how kind of you to ask me. How good of you to turn out, Mr. Duke. It's a pleasure, Mrs. Willett. At least, it's a pleasure now I'm here. Now that we're all here, perhaps you'd ask Dora to serve tea, Violet. Ah. Well, what about a game of bridge? Just a thing for a winter evening. There are six of us. Do 
can cut in. You four start, Miss Willis and I will cut in. Uh, I'm sorry to put a damper on things, but I don't play bridge, I'm afraid. Uh, well, we could play a round game. Or table turning. The wind's sounding pretty spooky. Do you remember we mentioned it the other day? Mr. Rycroft and I were talking about it on the way over yes, here. I am a member of the Psychical Research Society, and I was able to put our young friend right on one or two points. I think it's all Tommy Rot. Oh, but it's good fun, don't you think, Major? I mean, you don't have to believe in it or anything. It's just an amusement. What do you say, Mr. Duke? Anything you like, Miss Willett. Uh, I've never tried it before. How exactly do we go about it? Oh, it's quite simple, really. We sit round the table with our hands, our palms down, our thumbs and little fingers touching. And when the spirits come, the table will begin to move and spell out messages for us. But do the spirits know about all this? Oh, yes. They have special courses at night school. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be facetious, Ronnie. Nothing will happen unless we're serious. We must find a suitable table. Yes. No, no, not that one, Mother. I'm sure it's much too heavy. Mm -hmm. Oh, could you bring that little table in the corner, Mr. Garfield? Oh, right you are. That's wonderful. Everybody find themselves a chair. Yes. Now, if you sit next to Mr. Rycroft, Mr. Duke, and you sit between me and Violet, Major... Then my young Daisy was up Jenkins. And Ronnie can sit next to Violet. Oh, could you turn the lights out first? Oh, of course, Mrs. Willett. Here we go. <clears throat> Spirits are a long time. They've got a long way to come. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing will happen unless we are serious. Nothing is happening. Well, of course not. It never does at first. If only you'd be quiet, please. Yes. The table's dead as mutton. Shh. Oh, starting to rock. Ask it questions. Who shall ask? You, Ronnie. Oh, uh, hello. Is a spirit present? That means yes. Oh, um, who are you? Ask it to spell its name. I can't keep track. Was that I or J? Ask it. I say, was that I? Right. Next letter, please. D. Next letter, please. Ida. Have you a message for anyone here, Ida? Oh. Who was it for? Miss Willett? That means no. Mrs. Willett. Mr. Duke. Me? It's for you, Ronnie. Make it spell it out. D. I. A. N, I think. Diana. Do you know anyone called Diana? No, I don't. At least... There you are. He does. <sighs> what shall I ask her? <laughs> ask her if she's a widow. <laughs> are you a widow, Diana? <laughs> oh, nothing. Has she gone away? Oh, she has. <sighs> Will another spirit come, please? <laughs> are you a new spirit? Have you a message for someone? For me again? 
You're shoving, Violet. I'm not. Look, I'll take my hands off the table. All right, I believe you. Is the message for Violet? Is it for Mr. Rycroft? Is it for Major Burnaby? Oh, it's for you, Major. Will you spell it out, please? T. V. Trev. <laughs> Are you sure it was a V? Trevelyan. Of course it's Trevelyan. Oh. Captain Trevelyan. Is it a message about Captain Trevelyan? Oh. What about Captain Trevelyan? D. E. <laughs> a. D. Dead. Oh. What does it mean? You don't mean Trevelyan is dead. Oh. What do we do now? M. E. Ah. Murder. I won't go on with this. It's it's horrible. I don't like it. Do you mean that Captain Trevelyan has been murdered? Oh. Yes. Look here. I call this a rotten joke. Turn on the lights. I'll do it. Nobody ought to play tricks like that. It's wrong. Not about people dying. I wasn't shoving. I swear I wasn't. I can say the same. And you, Mr. Rycroft? Certainly not. It's in rather bad taste, if you ask me. It's disgusting. Violet, I didn't, Mother. I couldn't do such a thing. What time is it? Um, it's twenty-five minutes past five. I think we'd better have cocktails. Will you ring the bell, Mr. Duke? Of course, Mrs. Willett. And will you mix them, please, Mr. Garfield? It's about the one thing in the world Aunt Caroline can't criticise me for. There we are. Mrs. Willett? Thank you, Mr. Garfield. Violet. Thank you, Ronnie. Help yourselves, gentlemen. Yes. Here's how. Thank you. Well, you're, you're very good help. Cheers. Cheers. I think we all needed that. Major Burnaby, won't you have your cocktail? Uh, no, thank you, Mrs. Willett. Not for me. I must be going. Oh, surely not. Many thanks for a pleasant time. Oh, but it's so early still. Do stay a little while, Major. Oh, I'm sorry, Mrs. Willett, but uh, well, it's got to be done. Is there only a telephone? I always told Joey ought to install one here. A telephone? What do you mean? Well, you see, tell you the truth, I'd like to see the Joe Trevelyans all right. It's a silly superstition and all that, but there it is. Of course, I don't believe in any of this Tommy Rock, but all but the there same... there must be somewhere you can phone from. There isn't a telephone in Sitterford, and nothing between here and Exhampton. I'll have to go. But you'll never get a car down that road. The snow's far too thick. Oh, a car's out of the question. Two legs will take me there, Mrs. Willie. Oh, Major Burnaby, it's impossible. It's going to snow again. You said so. Not for an hour. Perhaps longer. I'll, uh, I'll just drop into my place for a flask and then push straight on. Trevelyan will put me up for the night. 
It's a ridiculous fuss, I know. Everything's sure to be all right. Oh, well, I'll see you out. No, no, don't bother yourself about that, Mrs. Oh, Willie. Oh, snow and no snow. I'll get there in a couple of hours. Good night, everyone. Oh, good, night. Good, night. Good, night. good night. Good night. Good luck, Major. It is going to snow, and it'll begin long before he gets to Exhampton. Yeah, I hope he gets there all right. I know. I, I feel I ought to have gone with him. One of us ought to have gone with him. It's very foolish of him to go off like that. He'll probably plunge into a snowdrift, or if he doesn't, he'll die of cold and exposure. And at his age, well, too. There, there was no stopping him. His mind was made up. I'm sure that Captain Trevelyan is perfectly all right. I'm sure he is. Violet, I will never have that silly game played here again. No, Mother. Supposing something has happened to Captain Trevelyan. Exhampton Police? Oh, oh no, madam. I, I'm afraid there's no hope of a snowplow getting out to you tonight. All the roads onto the moor are impassable, and there's nothing anyone can do before morning. Well, I'm sorry, but there's nothing more we can do. Good night. Major Burnaby, I never expected to see you out on a night like this. Look here, this may be a false alarm, but I've been knocking and ringing at the captain's house and I, I can't get any answer. Oh, of course, it's Friday, and you always see each other on Friday nights. Yeah. But you don't mean to say you've actually come down from Sitterford on a night like this. Surely the captain would never expect you. Well, whether he's expecting me or not, I'm here. And I tell you, I can't get anybody to answer the door. Oh, that's odd. Of course it's odd. It's not as though he's likely to be out. Not on a night like this. Well, of course he's not likely to be out. Hmm. Hmm. It is odd. Well, aren't you going to do something? Do something? Yes. Do something. Oh. Think he might have been taken bad. I'll try the telephone. Do you know the number, Major? Two five four two five four. has been taken bad and all alone in the house too we'd best get hold of dr warren and, and take him along with us damnable night hope you hadn't brought me out on a wild goose chase trevelyan's as strong as a horse never has anything wrong with him well soon no doctor mm. not a sausage Trevelyan! Captain Trevelyan! Better give up before we rouse the whole street. Do you think we ought to break the lock? We'd do better to try round the back. If we do have to break in, it'll be easier to force the French windows. The French windows are open. Right mine would open a window on a night like this. At least it makes our task easier. 
all over the place. Someone's been at the desk. But where's... Over he? here, by the door. Oh, my God. Don't touch him. Let me. The lock's been forced. Is he dead? I'm afraid so, Major. It's for you to say what's to be done, Sergeant. I can do nothing except examine the body, but uh, perhaps you'd rather I didn't do that until your superiors arrive. I can tell you the cause of death now fracture at the base of the skull, and I think I can make a guess at the weapon, this green baize tube. Joe always had them along the bottoms of the doors to keep the drafts out. Such harmless things. But a very efficient form of sandbag. So, uh, let's get this quite clear, Doctor. Uh, are you saying this is murder? That's right, Pollock. Then I'd better telephone Exeter. Uh, phone's through there. Have you... Any idea how long he's been dead? About uh, two hours, I should say, or possibly more. Would you say that he might have been killed at 5.25? Oh, difficult to say with certainty, but if I had to give a definite time, that's about what I would suggest. Oh, my God. What is it, Major? What's the matter? Five and twenty past five. And it was true, after all. Hello? Could you put me through to Inspector Narakot? So, what do you make of it, Sergeant? Well, as I see it, sir, I should say that the murderer forced the lock of this window here and started rifling the room. Captain Trevelyan, I suppose, must have been upstairs. Doubtless the murderer thought the house was empty. Now, just a minute, Sergeant. Where's Trevelyan's bedroom? Directly over this room, sir. Mm. By four o'clock, it would have been nearly dark. If Trevelyan was up in his bedroom, the light would have been on and the burglar would have seen it. Nobody in his senses would break into a lighted house. Hmm. Seems a bit odd, I admit. But there it is. Hmm. Well, let it pass for the moment. Go on. Suppose the captain hears a noise downstairs. He comes down to investigate. The burglar hears him coming. He snatches up this bolster arrangement and uh, gets behind this door and as the captain enters the room, strikes him down from behind. Yes, that's true enough. He was struck down when he was facing the window. But all the same, Pollock, I don't like it. No, sir? No. As I say, I don't believe in houses that are broken into at five o'clock in the afternoon. Well, with the weather and all... He may have thought it a good opportunity. It's not a question of opportunity. It was a deliberate housebreaking. Look at the confusion everywhere. What would a burglar go for first? The pantry where the silver's kept. That's true enough. And all this mess. His drawers pulled out, papers all over the room. It's bunkum. I don't understand you, sir. Take a good look at this window, Sergeant. It wasn't forced open. It was splintered from the outside to give the appearance of having been forced. You mean it wasn't a burglary at all, sir? It was an inside job? Mm, something of the sort. The only curious thing is, though, that I think the murderer did actually enter by the window. As you reported, 
and as I can still see for myself, there are damp patches still visible on the carpet where the snow melted and was trodden in by the murderer's boots. And I only found damp patches in this room. I'm quite positive there were none in the hall. So it's clear that the murderer was admitted by the captain through the window. Therefore, it must have been someone who he knew. Yes, sir. You're a local man, Sergeant. You tell me if Captain Trevelyan was a man who made enemies easily? No, sir. Uh, I should say he hadn't an enemy in the world. Uh, a bit keen on money and a bit of a martinet. <laughs> Wouldn't stand for any slackness or incivility, but oh, bless my soul, he, he was respected for that. So, if he didn't have any obvious enemies, we may as well consider the next logical motive. The most common motive for any crime. Gain. Hmm. Captain Trevelyan was, I understand, a rich man. Very well off, indeed, by all accounts. But uh, close. <laughs> Not an easy man to touch for a subscription. Sounds like the voice of experience. <laughs> Too true, sir. But he had snowed as it did. But for that, we'd have had his footprints as something to go on. The murderer may well have counted on that. There was no one else in the house. No, sir. For the past five years, Trevelyan has had only one servant. Did all the cooking, everything. About a month ago, he got married, much to the captain's annoyance. Mm -hmm. I believe that's one of the reasons he let Siddiford House to the South African lady. He wouldn't have any woman living in the house with him. So, Evans lives just round the corner in Fourth Street with his wife, and he comes in daily to do for the captain. His statement is that he left here at about half-past two yesterday afternoon, the captain having no further need for him. I shall need to see him. He may be able to tell us something useful. You think he might... I think there's a lot more in this case than meets the eye. Hmm. What sort of a fellow is he? He's a retired naval chap. Ugly customer in a scrap, I should say. Does he drink? Well, never been the worst for it that I know of. What about this wife of his? Not a fancy of the captain's or anything of that sort? Oh, no, sir. Nothing of that kind about Captain Trevelyan. He was known as a woman-hater, if anything. And Evans was supposed to be devoted to his master? That's the general idea, sir. Mm. And I think it would be known if he wasn't. Exhampton's a small place. I've just realized something rather odd. There isn't much about this case that's not odd. Why did the murderer come in through the window? Assuming it was someone Trevelyan knew, why not go to the front door? To get round to his window from the road wasn't an easy business through all that snow. Even Burnaby didn't think to try it at first, but the murderer must have had a reason. Well, perhaps it will come to light in due course. Where do you say this happens, Chaplin? Four streets, sir. Uh. All right, fair knock me over, I don't mind admitting. Who on earth would want to do a thing like that? Can you tell me what you were doing from four o'clock onwards? From four o'clock, Inspector, I was at home. Is there anyone who could support your statement? I beg pardon, sir? Anyone who knows you were at home during that time? And my wife, sir. And you were alone in the house together? Yes, sir. When did you last see your master? Uh, two o'clock, sir. The captain told me I didn't need to come back after I'd cleared away the lunch things. Is that usual? Uh, no, sir. As a general rule, I come back for a couple of hours around seven o'clock. But the captain told me not to bother, on account of the weather. Tell me exactly what he said, as closely as you can remember. Well, he looked out of the window and he says, Not a hope of Burnaby today. Shouldn't wonder if Sitterford's cut off altogether. Don't remember such a winter since I was a boy. And then he told me I could go home for the rest of the day. 
Apart from his reference to Major Burnaby, he didn't speak of expecting anyone that afternoon? No, sir. Not a word. Nothing unusual or different in any way in his manner? Not that I could see, sir. I understand that you've lately got married. Uh, yes, sir. Rebecca's the daughter of Mrs. Belling, the landlady of the Three Crowns. And Sergeant Pollock tells me that the captain was not overpleased about it. Uh, he cut up rough about it, he did. Rebecca's a very good cook, and I hope we might be able to do for the captain together. But he wouldn't hear of it. Things was rather at a deadlock, and then this South African lady came along and wanted to take the house. That rather let us off the hook. But what were you planning to do when Mrs. Willett's tenancy came to an end? I don't really know, sir. We was hoping the captain might come round to the idea and that Rebecca and me would go back to Sissyford with him. Why, he'd never even know she was in the house. She'd keep to the kitchen. She would manage so that he'd never even meet her on the stairs. Have you any idea what lay behind Captain Trevelyan's dislike of women? Oh, there wasn't anything behind it, sir. If you ask me, it was just shyness. I've seen people like that before. Some young lady or other gives them a snub when they're young, and after that, well, they just wants to hide whenever a woman comes along. So he'd never been married? Uh, no, sir, not him. And do you know whether he had any relatives? I believe he had a sister living in Exeter, sir. Um, Mrs. Gardner, I think her name was. Ah, do you know her address? I'm afraid I don't, sir. I believe they quarrelled some time ago. They never saw each other. Anyone else? I did hear him mention her nephew once, living in London, I think. But he never came down. They weren't close. Emily, is that you? Emily, it's Jim. I... Emily, I think I might have got myself into a bit of a scrape. In The First Part of the Sitterford Mystery by Agatha Christie, Geoffrey Whitehead played Inspector Narricott. Mrs. Curtis was played by Barbara Atkinson, and Major Burnaby by Norman Bird. Mrs. Willett, Susan Westerby. Violet Willett, Victoria Carling. Mr. Rycroft, John Moffat. Mr. Duke, Michael Graham Cox. Ronnie Garfield, Nigel Greaves. Sergeant Pollock, Vincent Brimble. Dr. Warren, Michael Kilgariff. Evans, Donald G. The Sitterford Mystery was dramatised and directed by Michael Bakewell. The Sitterford Mystery by Agatha Christie, dramatised in five parts by Michael Bakewell, with Geoffrey Whitehead as Inspector Narricott and Stephen Tomkinson as Charles Enderby. Part 2. An Arrest for Murder The time is 1931. The place, Exhampton, on the edge of Dartmoor. Do you think I ought to tidy the place up a bit, Inspector? Oh, no, thank you, Evans. The whole place is to be left exactly as it is for the present. Very good, sir. Quite an array of cups and trophies. A bit of a sportsman, Captain Trevelyan. Ah, oh, he was that. Been an athlete all his life. Seems to have had an odd taste in literature. Love turns the key. The very men of Lincoln. The prisoner of love. Doesn't sound like his kind of thing. Uh, they weren't for reading, Inspector. They were a prize he won in the railway names competition. Oh. 
He sent in ten solutions under different names, including mine, because he said 85 Fourth Street was a more likely address to send a prize to than Cityford House. The commoner your name and address, the more likely you were to get a prize. And what's in the cupboard in the corner? Oh, that's where the captain kept all his treasures. Well, let's have a look. Mm. Careful, sir. Good Lord, what a collection. Elephant's foot, tennis racket, tiger skin, skis... <laughs> A pair of mounted skulls, fishing tack. <laughs> Why did he bring this lot down with him, if he was only letting the house for a few months? Uh, Surely these things could have been locked up at Sitterford House. Now that would have been the common sense thing to do. But the captain couldn't bear the idea of anyone messing around with his treasures, particularly since he'd let the house to a couple of women. Lock things up as you will, he says. A woman will always find a way of getting in. Better not lock them up at all, he says, if you don't want her to handle them. <laughs> so we carted them all down here. And a regular job it was. It came expensive, too. But there, those things of the captain's was like his children. This Mrs. Willett, was she an old friend or acquaintance of the captain's? Oh, no, sir, no, no. She was a stranger to him. You're sure of that? Well, the captain never actually said so, but yes, I'm sure of it. Captain Trevelyan and Mrs. Willett met, I suppose. Oh, yes, yeah. She came to the house and he took her over it. Did they, um... Did they get on well together? Were they friendly? The lady was, all over him, admiring the house, asking him if he'd planned the building of it, altogether laying it on thick, as you might say. And the captain? Well, that sort of gushing lady wasn't likely to cut any eyes with him. Polite he was, but nothing more. Well, let's look over the rest of the house, shall we? Right, sir. And then I'd better go and have a word with Major Burnaby. Do you know where he is? Uh, he's staying at the Three Crowns, sir. No hope of getting back to Cityford today. Still cut off. And, in any case, I think it's been quite a shock to him. The Major's having his breakfast in the coffee room. What kind of night he's passed with no pyjamas or anything, I don't know. Said it made no matter he did. All upset he was. No wonder with his best friend murdered. I always used to say it was dangerous to live up at Sitford, miles from anywhere. Here's the captain struck down in the middle of Exampton. Who did you have staying here yesterday, Mrs. Benning? Any strangers? Oh, there were two commercial gentlemen, Mr. Moresby and Mr. Jones. And there was a young gentleman from London. Nobody else. That's not surprising with the weather the way it is this time of the year. Oh, uh, there was another young gentleman. Arrived by the last train. Nosy young fellow. He isn't up yet. What time does the last train get in? Oh, around a quarter past ten. Uh, I don't think we need trouble ourselves about him. Uh, what about the other one, the one from London? Oh, I can't remember his name for the moment, but you'll find it in the register. He left on the first train to Exeter this morning. And what time would that be? Ten past six. I thought it was rather curious. Can't imagine what he wanted down here anyway. Oh, you didn't mention his business? Not the word. Did he go out at all? He arrived around lunchtime, went out about half past four, came in about twenty past six. Where did he go when he went out? I haven't the remotest idea. It was before the snow came down again, but it wasn't a day for walking anywhere. Did he give you any idea why he was here? Oh, he didn't say very much at all. Kept himself to himself. Nice-looking young man, but worried, I should say. Can I have a look at the register? It's just here. Oh. Uh, uh, that's him there. I, I can't see without my glasses. James Pearson, London. Oh, 
Doesn't tell us much. I have to make a few inquiries. Thank you, Mrs. Benning. Uh, did you say the Major was in the coffee room? Oh, that's right, sir. Uh, through there. Thank you. Oh, I hope you won't be disturbed by the vacuuming. Major Burnaby? That's my name. I'm Inspector Narricutt from Exeter. Oh, good morning, Inspector. Uh, won't you sit down? Oh, thank you. Getting any forrader? A little forrader, I think. I'm glad to hear it. There are um, one or two points I'd like you to help me on, Major. I'll do what I can. Had Captain Trevelyan any enemies, to your knowledge? Not an enemy in the world. And this man of his, Evans, do you consider him trustworthy? I should think so. Joe trusted him, I know. There was no ill feeling about his marriage? Uh, not ill feeling, no. Trevelyan was annoyed. He didn't like his habits upset. Old bachelor, you know. Do you know if he made a will, Major? He made a will. You're certain of that? He made me his executor. Hmm. Do you know how he left his money? That I can't say. Understand he was very comfortably off. I should say he was better off than anyone round here suspected. And do you know where he kept his will? Well, he's at Walters and Kirkwood, the solicitors here in Exhampton. Then, as you're an executor, I wonder if you'd come round with me there now. I should like to have an idea of the contents of that will as soon as possible. <laughs> What's in the wind there? Do you think the will has something to do with it? At this stage, we have to consider every eventuality. <laughs> Which reminds me, there's another question I'd like to ask you. I understand that you wanted to know from Dr. Warren whether death had occurred at five and twenty minutes past five. Well? What made you ask that, Major? Why shouldn't I? Why shouldn't I say 25 past 5 or 25 to 6 or 20 past 4, for that matter? Quite so, sir. There is one thing that strikes me as curious. Huh? What's that? Uh, the business of letting Sitterford House. Well, if you ask me, it's damned odd. You know the lady? I certainly do. Well, I was at her house when... Uh, uh, when what? <clears throat> Nothing. Nothing at all. Did Mrs. Willett ever give any reason for taking on the house in the middle of winter? Well, she talks a lot. She's that kind of woman. Beauties of nature, getting away from it all, that sort of thing. But uh, I don't know. It didn't strike you as natural. You've only got to look at her. She's a, a fashionable sort of woman. Dressed up to the nines. Daughter's a smart, pretty girl. You expect them to be staying at the Ritz or carriages or somewhere. And you think they may be hiding out? Oh, nothing of the kind. Exceedingly hospitable people, but uh, a bit too hospitable for English ideas. You know what colonials are. You've no reason to suppose that they were previously acquainted with Captain Trevelyan? I'm sure they weren't. Joe would have told me. Uh, I might have a word with the agents who arranged the whole thing. Williamson's, next door to Walters and Kirkwood. Ah. Why don't you drop in on them first? Kirkwood's never in his office before ten anyway. You know what solicitors are? Uh, Mrs. Willett wrote to us from the Carlton Hotel in London. Uh, she simply said that, uh... Oh, she said that she wanted to rent a house on Dartmoor for the winter. It must have at least eight rooms. Was Sitterford House on your books? Oh, no, it was not. But it was the only house in the neighbourhood that even remotely fulfilled her requirements. Oh, she was willing to pay a decent price, so I thought it worthwhile writing to Captain Trevelyan, asking whether he would, uh, consider letting. He replied in the affirmative, and we fixed the thing up. Without Mrs. Willett seeing the house? She took it sight unseen and signed the agreement. 
Well, then she came down here one day, drove up to Sitterford, saw Captain Trevelyan, uh, arranged with him about uh, plates and linen and so forth, and, and saw over the house. She was quite satisfied. Oh, delighted, uh, or so she said. Didn't you think that rather odd? <laughs> you learn never to be surprised at anything in the property business. Yes, Inspector, we do have Captain Trevelyan's will here. I suppose that since Major Burnaby and myself are joint executors of the will, if the Major has no objection... Uh, none at all. Then I see no reason why I should not accede to your request. As it happens, I have it to hand here. I had anticipated your visit. <coughs> I, Joseph Arthur Trevelyan of Sitterford House, Sitterford, in the county of Devon, declare this to be my last will and testament, which I make this 13th day of August, 1926. I give to Robert Henry Evans, who served me long and faithfully, the sum of £100 free of legacy duty for his own benefit absolutely, provided that he's in my service at the time of my death and not under notice to leave, whether given or received. I give to John Edward Burnaby, of one the cottage is Sitterford, as a token of our friendship and of my affection and regard for him, all my trophies of sport, including my collection of heads and pelts of wild game, as well as any challenge cups and prizes awarded to me in any department of sport, and any spoils of the chase in my possession. Dear Joe. <coughs> Forgive me, Mr. Kirkwood, but as you can imagine, I have a busy day ahead of me. I would be grateful if you could simply let me know the main bequests. Yes, of course, Inspector. Uh, the estate is to be divided into four equal parts. The first to my sister Jennifer Gardner, for her use and enjoyment absolutely. And the remaining such equal fourth parts to each of the three children of my deceased sister Mary Pearson, for the benefit of each such child absolutely. Mary Pearson? Can you tell me anything about Mrs. Pearson, Mr. Kirkwood? Uh, very little, Inspector. She died about ten years ago, I believe. As far as I know, she never visited Captain Trevelyan here. Pearson. One thing more. Uh, the amount of Captain Trevelyan's estate is not mentioned. What will it amount to, do you think? Ah, that's difficult to say exactly. It's a question of real or personal estate. Besides Sitterford House, there are properties in Plymouth... I just want a, an approximate idea. Well, I should not like to commit myself... Would £20,000 be out of the way? <laughs> £20,000. <laughs> uh, my dear sir, Captain Trevelyan's estate will be worth at least four times as much as that. I told you Trevelyan was a rich man. Oh, thank you very much for the information you've given me, Mr. Kirkwood. Uh, by the way, have you the names and addresses of Jennifer Gardner and the Pearson family? I know nothing of the Pearson family, but Mrs. Gardner's address is... Ah, yes. The Laurels, Walden Road, Exeter. Uh, that will do to be going on with... And can you tell me anything at all about Mrs. Pearson's children? Uh, there were two girls and a boy, I think. Or, or possibly two boys and a girl. I, <laughs> I can't remember which. Oh, thank you, Mr. Kirkwood. Shall we go, Major? Mm. Poor old Kirkwood. Not much to go on. Joe always kept his cards pretty close to his chest. Don't you think it's time you'd had to see some of your cards, Major? How do you mean? I'd like to know the truth about the 20 past five business. I've told you already. Withholding information is what you're doing, and I think I have a pretty good idea why you asked Dr. Warren about that specific time. Well, if you know about it, why ask me? I take it you were aware that a certain person had an appointment with Captain Trevelyan about that time? Nothing of the kind. 
What are you getting at? What about James Pearson? What about James Pearson? Who is he? Do you mean one of Trevelyan's nephews? The young man in question was at the Three Crowns last night. You probably recognised him there. I never saw any of Trevelyan's nephews in my life. But you knew that Captain Trevelyan was expecting a nephew to call upon him yesterday afternoon? I did not. Trevelyan's nephews may have been in Temple too, for all I knew about then them. Then why this twenty past five business? Oh, very well, Inspector. I suppose I had better tell you. But, mind you, the whole thing is damned foolishness. I don't quite see what you... You have to join in these things to please the ladies. And old Rycroft was all for it. Of course, I never thought there was anything in it. Anything in what, Major? Table turning. Table turning? I'll tell you all about it while we walk back to the hotel. You mean to tell me that the table spelled out the name of Trevelyan and informed you that he had been murdered? Ask the others, if you like. I didn't believe it. Naturally, I didn't believe it, but... Well, it was Friday, and I thought I should make sure. I'd go along and see if everything is all right. And you found out that it was true? Mm. I've never come across anything like this before. I don't quite know what to make of it. I do see why you were so reluctant to talk about it. Glad you appreciate it. It won't help me catch the murderer, and I must be on my way. Oh, good day, Inspector. And don't hesitate to get in touch with me if there's anything I can do. Thank you, Major. Major Burnaby? Yes? Of number one, Sitterford Cottages? Yes. On behalf of the Daily Wire, I'd like Not to... another word. I know you and your kind, clustering around a murder like vultures around a carcass. But I can tell you, young man, you'll get no information out of me. I think you've got the wrong end of the stick, Major. I don't know anything about this murder business. Then what do you want? I'm empowered on behalf of the Daily Wire to hand you this cheque for £5,000 and congratulate you on sending in the only correct solution to our football competition. Good Lord. But surely you received our letter yesterday morning telling you of the good news. Well, do you realise that Sidford's about ten feet deep in snow? What chance do you think we've got of a letter delivery in the last few days? You must have seen your name announced in the Daily Wire this morning. No. I haven't glanced at the newspaper this morning. Oh, how stupid of me. The murdered man was a friend of yours, I understand. My best friend. I'm very sorry. Well, here's the cheque, with the compliments of the Daily Wire. Thank you. Uh, won't you have a drink, Mr... Um... Enderby. Charles Enderby. I got here last night. I wanted to come directly to Sitterford... We make it a point to hand cheques to winners personally. Always publish a little interview. Interests our readers. What will you have? A bitter, please. Uh, Mrs. Belling, two pints of special, please. Right you are, Major. Well, everyone told me it was out of the question. The snow was falling very thick and it simply couldn't be done. <laughs> well, then, with the greatest good luck, I find you're actually here staying at the Three Crowns. <laughs> I mean, no difficulty about identification. Everybody seems to know everybody else in these parts. Oh, quite so, quite so. Two pints a bitter, Major. Oh, thank you, Mrs. Belling. Oh, it's a pleasure, Major. Oh, congratulations, Major. Thank you. Cheers. <sighs> well, the, the whole place seems to be off its head with this murder. It's rather a mysterious business, by all accounts. <clears throat> no enemies, have you? No. But I hear the police don't think it's a robbery. How do you know that? Well, I hear it was you who actually discovered the body, sir. Yes. Uh, must have been an awful shock. 
I suppose you're off back to London today. Oh, no. Uh, well, I want to take a few photographs, you know, of your cottage at Sitterford and you feeding the pigs. I don't have any pigs. Hoeing the dandelions or whatever. You've no idea how our readers appreciate that sort of thing. Then I'd like to have a few words from you on what I intend to do with the £5,000. But look here, it's impossible to get to Sitterford in this weather. No vehicle has been able to take the road for three days. And it may be another three before the thaw sets in properly. Well, I know it's awkward. I'll just have to resign myself to kicking up my heels in Exhampton. Still, they do you pretty well at the Three Crowns. Well, so long, sir. See you later. Hello, Mavis. It's Enderby. Put me through to the editor. I think I've landed a bit of a scoop. Yes? What is it? Evans, isn't it? I've just come along from Major Burnaby. Oh, I see. Won't you come in, sir? Thank you. Uh, won't you sit down? It's a bad thing about your late master. Oh, it's shocking, sir. That's what it is. Who do you think did it? Uh, one of those low-down tramps, I suppose. Oh, no, Evans. That theory's quite exploded. How do you mean? Well, that's all a put-up job. Why, the police saw through that at once. Who told you that, sir? Had a tip from headquarters. Yes, the burglary idea was all a put-up job. Oh, who do they think did it, then? Huh? Are you connected with the police, sir? Me? Oh, no, uh, I'm from the Daily Wire. Well, I came down to see Major Burnaby. He's just won our free football competition for £5,000. You mean to say those things are square after all? <laughs> Why shouldn't they be? Well, it's a wicked world, sir. I have heard there's a lot of trickery concerned. The late captain used to say that a prize never went to a good address. That's why he used mine, time and time again. That's very interesting. Could you tell me a bit more, Mr. Evans? Ah, good afternoon. I want to see Mrs. Gardner, please. It's in connection with the death of her brother, Captain Trevelyan. Oh, yes, sir. Please, come in. Thank you. Has Mrs. Gardner heard of her brother's death? Oh, yes. She got a telegram from Mr. Kirkwood. It must have come as a shock to her. She didn't see much of Captain Trevelyan. Uh, did the telegram mention the fact that it was murder? Murder? Murdered, was he? Ah, evidently Mr. Kirkwood didn't want to break the news too abruptly to your mistress. Murdered? Well, I never... I believe there was some idea of Mrs. Gardner going over to Exhampton yesterday afternoon. But I suppose the weather was too bad for her? Oh, I never heard anything about it, sir. The mistress went out in the afternoon to do some shopping, and then she went to the pictures. She must have got back quite late. Oh, no, sir. She came back about six o'clock. Tell me, is Mrs. Gardner a widow? Oh, no, sir. There's a master. And what does he do? He doesn't do anything. He can't. He's an invalid. He lies in bed all day, always wanting trays carried up and pots of tea made. I see. Must be very trying for you. Mm. Well, now, if you'd be good enough to let your mistress know I'm here. But who in the world would want to murder Joe? That's what I'm anxious to find out, Mrs. Gardner. Of course, I hope I should be able to help you in some way. But my brother and I have seen very little of each other in the last ten years. 
You'll excuse me asking, Mrs. Gardner, but had you and your brother quarrelled? No, not quarrelled. I think estranged would be a better word to describe the position between us. I don't want to go into family details, but my brother rather resented my marriage. Brothers, I think, seldom approve of their sister's choice, but usually I fancy they conceal it better than my brother did. My brother, as perhaps you know, had a large fortune left to him by an aunt. Both my sister and myself married poor men. When my husband was invalided out of the war with shell shock, a little financial assistance would have been a wonderful relief. Would have enabled me to give him an expensive course of treatment, which was otherwise denied to him. I asked my brother for a loan, which he refused. That, of course, he was perfectly entitled to do. But since then we have met at very rare intervals and hardly corresponded at all. I don't know if you want to know what exactly happened at Exhampton. Must I hear it? My brother was killed. Painlessly, I hope. Quite painlessly, I should say. Then please spare me any revolting details. Of course, Mrs. Gardner. Uh, what I really came for was to get a few family details from you. Do you know how many living relatives your brother has beside yourself? Only the Pearsons. My sister Mary's children. The youngest, Brian, is out in Australia. I'm afraid I don't know his address. And then there's Sylvia. She's married to Martin Daring. He's a very successful author. You may have read his books. And the other brother? James. He's the eldest. He works in an insurance office in London. And what age is he? Twenty-eight. Married? No, but he is engaged. To a very nice girl, I believe. I don't know if Mr Kirkwood has informed you of the fact yet, but you and the three young Pearsons are the sole inheritors of Captain Trevelyan's money. Oh, that'll be wonderful. It has been so terribly difficult, always skimping and saving and wanting. Oh, there is one other thing, Mrs Gardner. I wonder if you could give me a few addresses. Do you have Sylvia Daring's address, perhaps? The Nook, Surrey Road, Wimbledon. Uncle Joseph wasn't a very nice man, always carping and criticising. No knowledge of art or literature or anything of any real worth. Success, true success, is not measured in terms of money, Inspector. I gather you didn't see much of him. Oh, I've only seen him twice since my marriage. On the second occasion, he was very rude to Martin, my husband. Of course, he was a perfect philistine. The only things he cared about were sport and those stupid competitions. Just as a matter of form, Mrs. Daring, what were your movements yesterday afternoon? <laughs> what a queer way of putting it. You mean you want to know where I was? Hmm. I played bridge most of the afternoon, and a friend came in and spent the evening with me as my husband was out. And where was he? At a literary dinner. He lunched with an American publisher and went to the dinner in the evening. I see. And now, Mrs. Daring, your brother in London. Jim? Yes. I shall want to get in touch with him. Uh, 21 Cromwell Street, Southwest 3. By the railway. Are you arresting me? No, sir, I am not. If I was arresting you, I would have given you the customary caution. I'm simply asking you to account for your movements yesterday afternoon. You found out, then, that I was down at Exhampton yesterday? You signed your name in the hotel register. Then I suppose there's no use denying it. Yes, I was there. Why shouldn't I be? Why, indeed. I went down there to see my uncle. By appointment? 
What do you mean by appointment? Did your uncle know you were coming? I... No. No, he didn't. It was a sudden impulse. No reason for it. Well, no, why should there be? I just wanted to see my uncle. Quite so, sir. And did you see him? Yes. Yes, I did. I asked at the station how I could get to Cityford. They told me it was out of the question. The roads were impassable for any vehicle. I said it was urgent. Urgent? I wanted to see my uncle very much. So it seems, sir. The porter kept on telling me it was impossible. I mentioned my uncle's name, and he told me my uncle was actually in Exhampton, and gave me full instructions as to how to find the house. This was at what time, sir? Oh, about one o'clock, I think. I went to the inn, the Three Crowns, booked a room, and had some lunch there. Then, afterwards, I went out to see my uncle. Immediately afterwards? Uh, no, not immediately. What time was it? Well, I, uh, I, I couldn't say for certain. Half past three, four o'clock, half past four? I don't think it could have been as late as that. Mrs. Belling at the Three Crowns said you went out at half past four. Did she? Well, I think she's wrong. It couldn't have been as late as that. What happened next? I found my uncle's house, had a talk with him, and came back to the inn. How did you get into your uncle's house? I rang the bell, and he opened the door to me himself. How long were you with him, Mr. Pearson? Oh, a quarter of an hour, twenty minutes. But look here, he was perfectly all right when I left him. And what time did you leave him? Uh, well, I don't know exactly. I think you do, Mr. Pearson. Uh, it was a quarter past five. You returned to the Three Crowns at a quarter past six. At most, it could only take you seven or eight minutes to walk over there from your uncle's house. I didn't go back at once. I walked about the town. In that icy weather? In the snow? It wasn't actually snowing then. Very well. And what was the nature of your conversation with your uncle? Oh, nothing in particular. I just wanted to talk to the old boy. Hadn't seen him for some time. I see, sir. Now, may I ask you why, on hearing of your uncle's murder, you left Exhampton without informing anyone of your relationship to the murdered man? I was scared. I heard he had been murdered around about the time I left him. I got the wind up and left the place by the first available train. And is that all you have to say, sir? Yes. Then I trust you'll have no objection to coming down to the station and making a statement. Well, is... is that all? I think it possible, Mr. Pearson, that it may be necessary to detain you until after the inquest. Oh, my God! What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Jim! What's the matter? Oh, Emily! What's happened? This man is from the police. They think I murdered my uncle. Oh, but that's ridiculous. This is Inspector Narricott. Uh, my fiancée, Emily Trefusis. Okay. Jim is a frightful idiot, Inspector, but he doesn't murder people. I suppose you've been saying the most frightfully imprudent things, haven't you, Jim? Are you really arresting him, Inspector? I've asked him to come to the station to make a statement. We may have to hold him until the coroner's verdict. You don't believe I did it, do you, Emily? No, darling, of course not. You haven't got the guts. Now cheer up and don't be such an idiot. You go along with the Inspector and leave everything to me. Yes. I'll say good evening, then, Mr. Fusis. Come along, sir. Goodbye, Jim. <laughs> Au revoir, Inspector. In the second part of The Sitterford Mystery by Agatha Christie, Inspector Narricott was played by Geoffrey Whitehead. Evans by Donald G. Mrs. Belling, Joe Kendall. Major Burnaby, Norman Bird. Williamson, David Googe. 
Kirkwood, John Gabriel, and Charles Enderby was played by Stephen Tomkinson. Beatrice, Alice Arnold. Mrs. Gardner, Anna Cropper. Sylvia Daring, Susan Sheridan. Jim Pearson, Stephen Garlick. Emily Drefusis was played by Melinda Walker. The Sitterford Mystery was dramatised and directed by Michael Bakewell. The Sitterford Mystery by Agatha Christie, dramatised in five parts by Michael Bakewell, with Melinda Walker as Emily Trefusis, Stephen Tomkinson as Charles Enderby, and Geoffrey Whitehead as Inspector Narricott. Part 3. Emily Goes to Work. The time is 1931. The place, Exhampton, on the edge of Dartmoor. Another pan of special, if you please, Mrs. Belling. Were you at the inquest this morning, Mr. Enderby? Yes, I was. All the press were there. Not that there was much for us to report. How do you mean? Well, the inquest was adjourned until next week, and that was that. One pint of special. Oh, thanks. Cheers. So, you're off to Sitford this afternoon. Well, now that the road's clear again, I've ordered a taxi. See if I can pick up something there. Dan, see Major Burnaby, of course. Well, I mustn't stay here gossiping. I've the rooms to see to. I wish you luck at Sitterford. Funny lot up there. Yeah, it could grow on you, this beer, if you gave it a chance. Excuse me. Hello. I hope you don't mind me asking, but um, I only arrived last night. And... Ask away. I wonder if you could tell me whether, if there's anything worth seeing in Axehampton. Well, I can't pretend to know much about the place. Um, there's a castle of sorts, or well, what's left of it. Uh, one of the ruins that Cromwell knocked about a bit. <laughs> I'll show you the way, if you like. Oh, that would be really kind of you, if you're sure you're not too busy. I always feel it my duty to show beautiful young ladies our cultural heritage. Just hang on while I finish my beer. You're Mr Enderby, aren't you? Yes. How did you know? The chambermaid told me. I saw you taking notes at the inquest. You're a journalist. That's right. But what were you... My name is Emily Trefusis. I want you to help me. Well, certainly, but... Uh... You see, I'm engaged to James Pearson. Pearson? The chap... And the police are going to arrest him. I know they are. Oh, Jim didn't do this thing. I've come down here to prove he didn't. Have you? We turn left up here. You see... I've got to have someone to help me. One can't do anything without a man. Men are able to get at information in so many ways that are simply impossible to women. Well, I suppose that's true. I was looking at all those journalists this morning. I picked you out as the one really clever one among them. Oh, come on, Fint. What I want is a kind of partnership. A partnership? There would be advantages on both sides. You can easily ask the right sort of questions because you're a journalist. Well, that's true. I want to feel I can depend on you. You can. You can. But my time's not entirely my own. I mean, today... But as Jim's fiancé, I'd be a sort of scoop for you, wouldn't I? Well, you certainly would. You could do an interview with me every day. You could make me say anything you think your readers would like. Like, girl believes passionately in fiancé's innocence, <laughs> or memories of his childhood. I don't really know much about his childhood, but that doesn't matter. I think that you are marvellous. You really are marvellous. 
The castle's down this lane. And then, naturally, I have access to Jim's relations. I can get you in there as a friend of mine. You won't have any doors shut in your face. I know quite enough about that, thank you. It's a deal. I knew you'd agree. So, what's the first move? Well, I'm going up to Sitterford this afternoon. You see, I actually came down here to present Major Burnaby with a cheque for winning a competition. That's the man who found the body? The same. I'm going up there to take some photographs of him and his cottage. He's the kind of old buffer who hates newspaper men like poison. But you can't really punch a chap in the face who's just handed you £5,000. <laughs> it would be awkward. Well, if you're going to Sitterford, I shall come with you. Well, mind you, I, I don't know whether there's anywhere to stay up there. Oh, we'll find something. I always find something. Well, there's your castle. It's not very exciting, is it? At least there's somewhere we can sit down out of the wind. I'm being completely unsentimental about all this. To start with, you've simply got to take it from me that Jim didn't do the murder. I'm not saying that simply because I'm in love with him or believe in his beautiful character or anything like that. It's just, well, that I know. I've been pretty well on my own since I was 16. I haven't had much contact with many women except my aunts, and I know very little about them, but I do know a lot about men. And unless a girl on her own can size up a man pretty accurately and know what she's got to deal with, she will never get on. And I have got on. I work as a mannequin at Lucy's. And I can tell you, Mr. Enderby, that to have achieved that by my own efforts is quite something. I can believe it. As I was saying, I can size men up pretty accurately. Jimmy is rather a weak character in many ways. I'm not sure that's not why I like him. The feeling that I can run him and make something of him. There are quite a lot of, well, even criminal things that I can imagine him doing if pushed to it, but not murder. He simply could not pick up a sandbag and hit an old man on the back of the neck with it. He'd make a boss shot and hit him in the wrong place if he did. He doesn't even like killing wasps. He always tries to put them out of a window and ends up getting stung. <laughs> Still, it's no good my going on like this. You've got to take my word for it and start on the assumption that Jim is innocent. Do you think that somebody's deliberately trying to fix the crime on him? Well, I don't think so. You see, nobody knew about Jim coming down to see his uncle. Mm. Of course, one can't be certain. But I should just put that down as a coincidence and just bad luck. What we have to find is someone with a motive for killing Captain Trevelyan. Mm. Well, the police are quite certain that this is not what they call an outside job. I mean, it wasn't a burglar. The broken window was faked. Did the police tell you all this? Practically. What do you mean, practically? The chambermaid told me. Her sister's married to Sergeant Pollock. <laughs> You're marvellous. Now, let's look at it methodically. Jim himself, his brother and sister, and his aunt, Jennifer Gardner, benefit equally by Captain Trevelyan's death. Well, Sylvia wouldn't harm a fly, but I wouldn't put it past her husband. He's really creepy, the nasty artistic kind who talk about sex with women in corners. Mm. He's probably in a hole financially. The money they'd come into would actually be Sylvia's, but that wouldn't matter to him. He'd soon get it out of her. Suspect number one. I could pretend I'm interviewing him as a popular novelist connected with the crime. Splendid. Then there's Jim's younger brother, Brian. He's supposed to be in Australia, but one never knows. We could send him a cable. We will. I suppose Aunt Jennifer's out of it, but she might just have come over from Exeter to see her brother. 
And he might just have said something nasty about her wretched husband. And she might just have seen red and biffed him once. Oh, do you really think so? Oh, not really. One never knows. Then again, there's Evans, the Batman. Admittedly, he only gets 100 pounds, but there again, one never knows. And then, of course, there's those people at Sitterford House. The Willets. Why take the house in the middle of winter? It's an awfully queer thing to do. And that seance business was queer, too. Mm. I'm thinking of writing that up for the paper. I'll get opinions from Sir Oliver Lodge and Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and a few actresses about it. I hate supernatural things. But just for once, it does look as though there was something in it. I'm sure there's a clue to be found in Sitterford. I've hired a car and I'm starting in half an hour's time. Oh, that'll be fine. What about Major Burnaby? Well, he's going to tramp it. Started out immediately after the inquest. If you ask me, you wanted to get out of having my company on the way there. Well, nobody could like trudging there through all this slush. Will the car be able to get up all right? Oh, yes. First day a car's been able to get through, though. Well, it's about time we were getting back to the Three Crowns. I'll pack my suitcase and do a short weeping act on Mrs. Belling's shoulder. Make her feel sorry for me. She might let slip something useful. Why are you going up to Silliford? Now... Perhaps I should have told you this before, but James Pearson... Well, he's actually... Um, James Pearson? The man the police have arrested? The one that stayed here? What did you say? Arrested? Really arrested? Yes, miss. Not oh. half an hour ago. Our Amy had it from the sergeant. There was a call from London. <laughs> oh, it's too awful. You see, Mrs. Belly, I'm engaged to him. Oh. And he didn't do it. He didn't do it. Oh, there, there, <laughs> my dear. You mustn't take on so. And what am I going to do? We must save him. Well, of course we will. Is there somewhere I can stay at Sitterford? I must find out what really happened. Well, there's only one place you can stay, and that's with Mrs. Curtis. Her husband used to do the gardens at Sitterford House. She's bound to have a room at this time of the year. But how are you going to get up to Sitterford? Mr. Enderby has hired a car. I'm going to share it. And where will he be staying, I wonder? Well, I suppose he will have to put up at Mrs. Curtis's too. Oh, I don't know that that would look quite right for a young lady like you. He's my cousin. Oh, well, that's all right then. And now I'd better go and pack. Oh, there's just one thing. You know pretty well everything that goes on down here, Mrs. Belling, don't you? Um, could you keep your eyes and ears open for me? <laughs> oh, there's many a little thing I hear that never goes to the police. <laughs> it doesn't matter how unimportant it may seem. I'll pass it on to you, miss. Now, don't you worry. We'll have your young gentleman out of his trouble in no time. The police? Yes, Mrs. Willett. But what can they possibly want here? It's an Inspector Narricot, ma'am. He's from Exeter. He says it's in connection with the death of Captain Trevelyan. But I thought they'd already arrested some young man. It's not as if the murder was committed here. He said he wished to speak to you most particular, ma'am. Very well, Dora. I'll come down. He's with Miss Violet in the library. You see, Inspector, it was only this morning that we heard of it. Yes, of course. We've been quite cut off for days. There isn't even a telephone in the village. We're all most terribly upset. Inspector Narricot. Ah, oh, Mrs. Willis. What a shocking tragedy. I could hardly believe it. We only heard about it this morning, you know. So I understand. Your daughter was just telling me. Is there any way in which I can help you, Inspector? I knew very little of poor Captain Trevelyan. You but... weren't acquainted with him? Before I took the house, you mean? Yes. Not in the slightest. Ah. 
I asked him here several times, but he simply refused to set foot inside the house, didn't he, Violet? Yes, Mother. The point I'm anxious to get information on is this. Yes, Inspector? Uh, Major Burnaby, as you doubtless know by now, discovered the body. Mm. He was led to do so by an accident that occurred in this house. An accident? Uh, the um, table turning. <gasps> oh. Oh, I'm sorry if I... Uh... Poor Violet. She was terribly upset. Indeed, we all were. I'm not superstitious, but really it was the most unaccountable thing. It did occur, then? Oh, of course it occurred. At the time, I thought it was a joke. A most unfeeling joke and one in very bad taste. I suspected young Ronnie Garfield. Oh, no, Mother, I'm sure he didn't. He absolutely swore he didn't. I'm saying what I thought at the time, Violet. Up to then, it had been well, just light-hearted fooling, good fun on a winter's evening. And then suddenly, well, I was very angry. Angry? Well, naturally, I thought someone was doing it deliberately. And now? Now I don't know what to think. It's uncanny. Hmm. And you, Miss Willard? I... I don't know. I keep on dreaming about it. I shall never do table-turning again. Mr. Rycroft would say it was genuine, I suppose. He believes in all that sort of thing. Really, after all this, I'm inclined to believe in it myself. What other explanation is there except that it was a genuine message from a spirit? Do you find it very bleak up here, Mrs. Willis? Oh, we love it. Such a change after South Africa. Where do you come from in South Africa? Oh, the Cape. Violet has never been in England before. She's enchanted with it. Finds the snow most romantic. What led you to come to this part of the world? Oh, it seems so silly. We were reading a book about Dartmoor on the boat, and it sounded such a fascinating place, so mysterious. But what made you settle on Sutterford? It's not a very well-known place. It was the most astonishing coincidence. We were sitting on the deck, and I was talking to Violet about this book and about Dartmoor, and there was this boy next to us who said he came from there, from Exhampton, in fact. What was his name? Um, what was his name? Can you remember, Violet? Uh, no, I, I can't. Cullen, I think. No, that was the boy from Nairobi. Was it Smythe? I really can't remember. You know how it is on board ship, Inspector. You get to know people well, and in a week after you've landed, you can't even be sure of their names. And on the strength of meeting this young man, you decided to take a house in these parts? Yes. <laughs> Wasn't it mad of us? So you wrote to the house agents and inquired about a house? Yes. And they sent us details of this place. It sounded just what we wanted. Must have been quite a problem, finding out the name of a house agent to write to in Exhampton. Uh, yes, it was, rather. <laughs> how did we find them, Violet? I can't remember, Mother. Of course. The hotel porter found out for us. Such an obliging man. There was nothing he couldn't do. Well, now I imagine you'd like to look around the house, Inspector. Well, thank you very much, Mrs. Willett. You've been most kind. I'm sorry I haven't been more used to you. But since Captain Trevelyan was so insistent on moving all his personal belongings out of the house... Yes, he does seem to have cleared everything out very thoroughly. Oh, it's all come as such a shock. And now the servants are threatening to walk out. It was difficult enough getting anyone in the first place. And the news of the murder seems to have unsettled them utterly. I don't know what I shall do. Still, you mustn't let me keep you, Inspector. I imagine you'll be wanting to get back to Exhampton. Uh, I shall be paying a call on one of your neighbours before I go. Uh, uh, Mr Duke, I believe he was present at the seance. Yes, Inspector, he was. By the way, do you know uh, young Pearson, don't you? Pearson? Oh, you mean the boy? <sighs> Miss Willis! Oh, the she's poor child! Oh, help me carry her. Oh. Shall, I, uh, shall I get the doctor? 
No, no, I'm sure it's not serious. Over on the sofa, I think. It's all this strain and shock, that dreadful table-turning business and the murder on top of it. And she isn't strong, if you'll be so kind as to ring the bell, Inspector. Well, I'm not surprised Sitterford got cut off. I mean, look at the way the snow's piled up at the side of the road. The snow ploughs were working all through the night. Never seen anything like it, they said. Is this Sitterford we're coming into now? That's right, miss. That's the old forge, mm-hmm. post office stores. And this is where Mrs. Curtis lives, at the second of the bungalows. Oh. I'll get your things out of the boot. By the way, I forgot to tell you. We're cousins. Are we? They've got such pure minds here in the country. I thought it would be better. In that case, I shall start calling you Emily. All right, cousin. What's your name? Charles. I hope Mrs. Curtis has got a hot cup of tea waiting for us. I'm frozen. Sugar? No, thank you, Mrs. Curtis. Yes, please. Funny how things turn out. One day we're cut off from the world up to our necks in snow, and the next, you two turn up out of the blue and I've got a full house. (laughs) It must be very lonely living out here. Oh, not a bit of it, miss. We're a regular little community in Sidderford. What are the rest of the village like? Well, there's old Miss Purse House, who lives at number four. When she first arrived, she announced she'd come out here to die. That was six years ago. But from the first day she arrived, she perked up like nobody's business. The air up here's wonderful, you know. Oh, I'm sure it is. It makes me feel very sleepy. She's got a nephew staying with her at the moment, Ronnie Garfield. Seeing that the money doesn't go out with the family, that's what he's doing. Mind you, this coming year has been a providence for the young lady out at Sedford House. Poor young thing. The idea of bringing her to that great barrack of house in the wintertime. More tea? Thank you. Thank you. The cottage this side of mine, number six, has only just been took. Gentleman of the name of Duke, that is, if you can call him a gentleman. There's no saying. A bashful sort of man he is. Might be a military gentleman by the looks of him. But somehow he hasn't got the manners. Would you like another scone? No, thank you. Yes, please. Help yourself. Then there's Mr. Rycroft, an elderly little gentleman. They say he used to go out to outlandish parts to get birds for the British Museum. Really? He's what they call a naturalist. Always out roaming over the moor when the weather permits. And his cottage is simply bulging out with books. There's damson jam if you want it. Thank you. Major Burnaby lives at number one. He lives by himself and I go in to do for him early mornings. He's a very neat gentleman and very particular. He and Captain Trevelyan were thick as thieves. And what about the people who've taken Sitterford House? Oh, what about them indeed? That's what nobody can make out. Plenty of money there. Amos Parker says their weekly grocery book comes to well over nine pounds. And you wouldn't believe the eggs that goes into that house. Brought their servants from Exeter with them, they did. But they don't like it and want to leave, and I'm sure I don't blame them. Has Major Burnaby got back to Sitterford yet? Oh, yes, indeed he has. Came tramping in just the same as ever about half an hour before you arrived. 
You haven't walked all the way from Exanton, I says. Why not, he says to me. If a man has got two legs, he doesn't need four wheels. <laughs> he looks bad, though. It's a miracle he ever got through to Exanton on Friday night. If you'll excuse me, Mrs Curtis, I, I think I'll pop round and have a word with him. Uh, oh. Tell him the camera parade will be tomorrow morning. I'll come with you. His doorbell's a bit dodgy. Uh, give it a good push. Good afternoon, Major. Oh, it's you, is it? Uh, this is Miss Trefusis. Uh, she very much wanted to meet you. May we come in? Oh, of course, yes, certainly. Do. Uh, sit yourselves down. Anyway, you like. Thank you. <clears throat> I think I should come straight to the point, Major. You see, I'm engaged to James Pearson. Naturally, I am terribly anxious about him. Oh, dear. That's a bad business. My dear young lady, I'm more sorry about it than I can say. Major Burnaby, tell me honestly, do you believe Jim is guilty? You needn't mind saying so if you do. I would a hundred times rather people didn't lie to me. No, I do not think him guilty. Mind you, I only met him a couple of times when he came over to see Joe. And he seemed a nice young chap, but... Uh, he could be a bit weak. Uh, don't be offended if I say he's the kind of young fellow that might easily go wrong if temptation came in his way. But murder? No. And mind you, I know what I'm talking about. You can't spend the time I spent in the army without becoming a fair judge of men. I'm sure that's true. I'm very grateful to you. Can I offer you a whiskey and soda? I'm afraid there's nothing much else. No, thank you. I hope to be able to produce some tea. Uh, we had tea just a little while ago at Mrs. Curtis's. Who do you think could have done it? Do you have any idea at all? Uh, no, I'm damned if I... Uh, I'm sorry. I took it for granted it was some chap that broke in, but... Well, now the police say that can't be so. They say nobody broke in. But all the same, it beats me, Miss Trefusis. Trevelyan hasn't an enemy in the world, as far as I know. And you would know, if anybody did. Yes. I suppose I knew more of Trevelyan than most of his relatives did. And you can't think of anything? Anything that would help in any way? I know what you're thinking. <laughs> like in books, there ought to be some little incident that would be a clue. Mm. Major Burnaby, forgive me putting it like this, but didn't you get the wind up rather easily about him that night? Yes. There's no denying it. I suppose I did. I knew the whole spirits thing was Tommy Rot, yet even so I... You felt somehow it wasn't. Exactly. That's why I wonder... I wonder what? You say you don't believe in all this table-turning business, and yet, in spite of the awful weather and what must have seemed to you the absurdity of the whole thing, you felt so uneasy that you had to set out, no matter what the weather conditions, and see for yourself if Captain Trevelyan was all right. That is true. Well, don't you think that may have been... Because there was something in the atmosphere? Well, I don't know. I mean, of course, women take these things seriously. What are they like, these Willets? Well, I... I don't know. They're, uh, They're very kind, you know. Very hospitable and all that. Mm -hmm. You are sure they hadn't met Captain Trevelyan before? Quite sure. If they had, Joe would have mentioned it to me. There were no secrets between us. What was Mrs. Willett's attitude toward Captain Trevelyan? <laughs> 
<laughs> she pestered the life out of him. Always asking him to come and see them. I see. You don't think she might have taken Sitterford House on purpose to get acquainted with Captain Trevelyan? I suppose she might. But it would have been a rather expensive way of doing it, don't you think? Mind you, the inspector thought of that, too. Oh, did he? But it's time we were going. Thank you very much, Major. Well, I'm sorry I haven't been more help to you. If I were a clever chap, I might have hit upon something that would have provided you with a clue. You've all my sympathy, Mr. Trefusis. Count on me for anything you want. Thank you. I will. Oh, goodbye, sir. I'll be along in the morning with my camera, if that's convenient. Oh, certainly. Certainly. It's shaken him a lot. More than he cares to show. Well, Trevelyan was his best friend. It's not surprising. Well, that must be Mr. Rycross' bungalow. And the next one must belong to the mysterious Mr. Duke. And that must be where Miss Pursehouse lives. We did the right thing staying with Mrs. Curtis. <laughs> Thanks to her, we know the whole village. The trouble is that most of the village has a cast-iron alibi. You mean the party at the Willets? Well... If they were all listening to the table rocking out spirit messages, they couldn't have been laying about Captain Trevelyan with a sandbag at the same time. I'm not so sure. <laughs> but it just isn't possible. Well, on the face of it, no. But it's what I was trying to put to Major Burnaby, though he couldn't understand what I meant. The reason he felt he just had to go down into Exhampton to see that Captain Trevelyan was all right was because there was something in the mind of somebody sitting at the table that he'd somehow or other picked up. A kind of telepathy, do you mean? Oh, look. We can't stand around talking in the cold. Let's go in. Come up to my room. D but don't you think that Mrs. Curtis... She uh... needn't see you. Anyway, I'm sure cousins can go into one another's rooms, even on Dartmoor. Oh, it's so stuffy in here. I'm sure Mrs. Curtis is trying to keep the heat in, but open the window a bit, will you? Just enough to let the air in. got a kind of starting point. It seems to me that it could all hinge on this table-turning business. You've done table-turning, haven't you? Oh, yes, once or twice, but I've never taken it very seriously. No, of course not. It's the kind of thing one does on a wet afternoon, when everyone accuses everyone else of shoving. <laughs> well, if you played it, you know what happens. The table starts spelling out, say, a name. Well, it's a name somebody knows. Very often they recognise it at once and hope it isn't going to be that. And all the time they're what one calls shoving. <laughs> I mean, sort of recognising things makes one give an involuntary jerk when the next letter comes and rocks the table. And the less you want to do that, sometimes the more it happens. Yes, that's true. I don't believe for a moment in spirits or anything like that. But supposing that one of those people who were playing knew that Captain Trevelyan was being murdered at that minute. <laughs> oh, say, that's awfully far-fetched. Well... It needn't be quite as crude as that. We're just taking a hypothesis, that's all. We're asserting that somebody knew that Captain Trevelyan was dead and absolutely couldn't hide the knowledge. The table betrayed them. Mm. Well, it's awfully ingenious, but I don't believe for a minute that it's true. We'll assume that it is true. I'm sure that in detection you mustn't be afraid to assume things. Oh, I'm, I'm quite agreeable. We'll assume that it is true. Anything you like. So, what we have to do is to consider very carefully the people who were playing and find out if they knew anyone who was in Exhampton at the time of the murder. Hmm. Hmm. To begin with, there's Major Burnaby and Mr. Rycroft. Well, 
It seems wildly unlikely that either of them would have an accomplice who was the murderer. Then there's Mr. Duke. And at the moment, we know nothing at all about him. So he could be anybody, part of a gang or anything. And then there are the Willits. Oh, Charles, there is something awfully mysterious about the Willits. But what on earth have they to gain from Captain Trevelyan's death? Well, on the face of it, nothing. But if my theory is correct, there must be a connection somewhere. But your theory is only... Listen. What is it? Miss Trefusey? <gasps> Miss Trefusey? Oh, that's Mrs. Curtis. Yes, Mrs. Curtis? Do you hear the bell, Miss? Do you hear it? And what is it? It's the bell of Princetown, Miss. Nearly 12 miles away. It means that a convict's escaped. Make sure you lock your window tonight. Oh, I will, Mrs. Curtis. Thank you. Good night. Good night. Oh. I'll do it. It's a pity that things happen all wrong. I mean, if this convict had escaped on Friday, there would be our murderer nicely accounted for. <laughs> Hungry man, desperate criminal, breaks in. Trevelyan defends his Englishman's castle, and desperate criminal biffs him one. It's all so simple. Mm, it would have been. <sighs> Instead of which, he escapes three days late. It's... It's hopelessly inartistic. In the third part of The Sitterford Mystery by Agatha Christie, Emily Trefusis was played by Melinda Walker and Charles Enderby by Stephen Tomkinson. Inspector Narricott by Geoffrey Whitehead. Mrs. Belling, Joe Kendall. Mrs. Willett, Susan Westerby. Violet Willett, Victoria Carling. Dora, Jane Slavin. And the driver, Vincent Brimble. Mrs. Curtis was played by Barbara Atkinson and Major Burnaby by Norman Bird. The Sitterford Mystery was dramatised and directed by Michael Bakewell. The Sitterford Mystery by Agatha Christie, dramatised in five parts by Michael Bakewell, with Melinda Walker as Emily Trefusis, Stephen Tomkinson as Charles Enderby, and Geoffrey Whitehead as Inspector Narricott. Part 4. A Recipe for Ginger Cake. The time is 1931. The place, Dartmoor. You're up bright and early this morning. Yes, I'm going for a walk, Mrs. Curtis. I need some fresh air. I hope you'll wrap up warm. It's very cold. Your cousin not going with you? No, he won't be stirring for hours yet. Well, keep your eyes open for that convict if you go out on the moor. They say he's a nasty customer. Oh, nowhere much to hide up here. Nothing for miles around. Just bare rock and the snow lying very thick. Oh, there must be Exhampton down there in the valley. You ought to see things better when you're high up like this. It ought to be like lifting the top of a doll's house and peering in. Excuse me. Oh, 
Uh, Miss Trefusis, I believe. Yes. Yes. My name is Rycroft. Now, you must forgive me speaking to you, but in this little community of ours, the smallest detail is known, and your arrival here yesterday has naturally gone the rounds. I can assure you that everyone feels a deep sympathy with your position, Miss Trefusis. Oh, thank you. That's very kind of you. You know that a prisoner escaped from Princetown last night? Yes, we heard the bell. Has he been recaptured? Not that I've heard, but he'll be taken soon enough, poor fellow. No one has made a successful escape from Princetown in the last 20 years. Which way is Princetown? Oh, it's over there, to the south. Yes, there's fog over that part of the moor. Otherwise, we'll be able to see it. It's only 12 miles away as the crow flies. It would have been a bitterly cold night to be out in the open with no kind of shelter. Mm. Yes, it's curious how one's instincts rebel at the thought of a man being hunted down. And yet these men at Princetown are dangerous and violent criminals. They're the kind of men that you and I would do our utmost to put there in the first place. I suppose you're right. Oh, you must forgive me, Mr. Fusis, but I am deeply interested in the study of crime. Ornithology and criminology are my two subjects. A curious combination. I've always wanted to study a crime at close hand. Um, could I associate myself in your fight to find the real murderer of Captain Trevelyan? Will you allow me to place my experience at your disposal? I I have read and studied the subject deeply. Oh, please help me, Mr. Rycroft. I am so very worried and unhappy. Yes, you must be, my dear, you must be, but you must be frozen. How thoughtless of me. Now, look, why don't we go down to my cottage? Hmm? It's it's not really very far, and we can talk over a cup of coffee. I've never seen so many books. If you get any more, you'll have to move out. (laughs) (laughs) They represent my various obsessions. The criminology section is in the large room at the back. The bird books are on either side of the window. And the books on occult phenomena are over here. Occult? Do you believe in the spirit world, Mr. Rycroft? Well, to a certain degree, Mr. Fusis, yes. I I wouldn't go so far as to say that... What do you think about the table-turning business? On the day of Captain Trevelyan's death. Oh, an astonishing case. I've already sent an account of it to the Society for Psychical Research. You know, somehow the table-turning seems to me to hold the key to the whole mystery. Tell me, were any of the people there, with the exception of yourself, in any way psychic? Oh, my dear young lady, I myself am not psychic. No, 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 no. I have no powers in that direction. I am only a deeply interested observer. And what about Mr. Duke? What about him? Well, who is he? But to tell you the truth, Mr. Refuses, nobody knows. Oh, how extraordinary. No, as a matter of fact, it isn't. He's such a very unmysterious person. <laughs> I should imagine the only mystery about him is his social origin. <laughs> yeah, but, but I wouldn't think he was possessed of psychic powers. <laughs> oh, I never knows, of course. And Mr. Garfield? Ronnie? Oh, a nice lad, but not remarkable in any way. Well off, I suppose. No, Stony Broke, I believe. He only comes down here to dance attendance on his aunt, from whom he has what people call expectations. <laughs> Miss Pursehouse is a very sharp lady and knows what his attentions are worth, I think. I should like to meet her. Yes, you certainly must. She will, no doubt, insist on meeting you. Curiosity, alas, my dear Mr. Fusis. <laughs> Curiosity. 
So you're up at last. And comfortably breakfasted. I was wondering if I ought to go over to Princetown. It's amazing how things pile up once you have a bit of luck. I thought you were going to take photographs of Major Burnaby at his cottage. I think I shall say that the weather's wrong. Um, this escaped convict's too good a chance to pass over. Now, Mrs Curtis is convinced he's holed up in some place called the Pixie's Cave. Why well, ought to take a look at that? I say, Miss Trefusis. Oh, that's this. I say, frightfully sorry to butt in and all that, but my aunt sent me along. Is your aunt Miss Pursehouse? That's right. So you know all about her? A little. I suppose you're Mr. Garfield? Yes, I ought to have told you. Well, the fact is, my aunt said she wanted to see you, and I was to come along and tell you so. Of course, if you've got a headache or something, it'll be quite all right, and you needn't bother. Oh, but I should like to bother. I'll come over with you straight away. Oh, but that's simply splendid. Lots of girls would have been awfully offended. But you know what old ladies are. To tell you the truth, my aunt's rather a tartar. Very kind of you, my dear, to come along and see an old woman. But you know what it is when you're an invalid. You must have a finger in every pie, and if you can't go to the pie, then the pie has to come to you. <laughs> Ronnie? Yes, Aunt Caroline? Go out and paint the garden furniture. Righto. I suppose you pity me, Miss Trefusis, lying here, never able to get up and walk about. No, I don't know that I do. If one has the determination, I suppose one can always get something out of life. If you can't get it in one way, you get it in another. Quite right. You've got to take life from a different angle, that's all. Mm. Now, now let's get down to business. Not being a complete fool, I suppose you'll come up to the village to find out what you can about the people here and see if there's anything that has any bearing on the murder. You want to get your fiancé off the hook? That's about it. Well, if there's anything you want to know about the people here, I can tell you. How about Major Burnaby? Oh, typical retired army officer. Narrow-minded and limited in outlook. Jealous disposition. Credulous in money matters because he can't see a yard in front of his nose. He likes to pay his debts promptly and dislikes people who don't wipe their feet on the mat. Mr. Rycroft. Queer little man. Enormous egotist. I suppose he's offered to help you solve the case owing to his wonderful knowledge of criminology. <laughs> there isn't much escapes you, Miss Pursehouse. <laughs> Tell me about the Willits. The Willits? Hmm. Oh, you may well ask. I'll tell you something about them, my dear. It may be useful to you, it may not. Uh, look in the top right-hand drawer of my dressing table. Uh, now, uh, b bring me the blank envelope that's there. Oh, is this it? Ah, thank you. Now, I don't say it's important... Everyone tells lies, and Mrs. Willett mm. is perfectly entitled to do the same as everybody else. Uh, when the Willets arrived here with their smart clothes and their maids, all their trunks were brought up by the station bus. I was looking out as they passed, mm. and I saw a coloured label blown off one of the trunks into the garden. Mm. Now, if there's one thing I hate more than another, it is paper lying about on the borders. So I sent Ronnie out to pick it up. It was a bright, pretty thing. I thought I might as well keep it for the scrapbooks I keep for the children's hospital. And I wouldn't have thought twice about it, except for Mrs. Willett saying 
she and Violet had never been out of South Africa. And? Well, uh, see for yourself. Needles Hotel, Melbourne. Australia isn't South Africa. At least it wasn't in my young days. Hmm. And I'll tell you another thing. I don't know what that peculiar accent of theirs is, but it certainly isn't South African. It certainly is curious. Hmm. And it's even more curious that they should come to live here in the middle of winter. Have you met the Willits? No. I thought of going there this morning, only I didn't know quite what to say. Well, I'll provide you with an excuse. Now, fetch my fountain pen and some notepaper from the desk. Yes, Miss Pursehouse. Ronnie? Ronnie! Why can't the boy come when he's called? Ronnie! Is there anything the matter, Aunt? Now, tell me, when you went to the Willits yesterday... Did you have any particular kind of cake for tea? Cake? What did you have to eat for tea? Oh, uh, there were some pate sandwiches. Pretty frightful. Oh, and there was a ginger cake. Ginger cake. That'll do. Go back to your painting, Ronnie. Oh, yes, Aunt. But don't hang about. Oh, don't stand there with your mouth open. You had your adenoids out when you were eight years old, so there's no excuse for it. Oh, right-o. Here we are, Miss Pursehouse, and a pen. Ah, well, you'll have to write for me. My hand is much too trembly. Yes. <clears throat> Miss Persas. Uh, dear Mrs. Willett, <clears throat> uh, my nephew tells me you had the most delicious ginger cake for tea yesterday afternoon. Uh, will you be so very kind as to give me the recipe for it? I know you'll not mind my asking you this. An invalid has so little variety in her diet. Uh, uh, Miss Trefusis has kindly promised to take this note for me, as Ronnie is, is busy this morning. Busy? Is not the news about the convict too dreadful? Yeah. Uh, that should get you in. Oh. I'll probably find the doorstep littered with reporters. But you ask for Mrs. Willett and say you've brought the note from me and you'll sail in. I'm sorry, miss, but Mrs. Willett isn't seeing anyone this morning. I brought a note from Miss Pursehouse. Would you kindly give it to her? Oh, I see. Well, you, you'd better come inside. I'll take your note up. Nothing very much in the way of clues lying about here. Glass tulips. A girl's hat. A Piro doll with remarkably long legs. And a distinct absence of family photographs. Good morning, Mr. Fusis. I'm sorry Mother isn't down. She's spending the morning in bed. I'm so sorry. I must have come at an awkward time. No, of course not. Cook is writing out the recipe for the cake now. Are you staying with Miss Pursehouse? I'm not exactly staying with her. In fact, I'm at Mrs. Curtis's. Oh, of course. The cottage is terribly small and she has her nephew Ronnie staying with her. She's a wonderful person, but to tell you the truth, I'm rather afraid of her. <laughs> she is a bit of a bully, isn't she? <laughs> but it must be an awful temptation to be a bully, especially if people won't stand up to you. Oh, I wish I could stand up to people. We've been having the most awful morning, absolutely pestered by reporters. Oh, of course. This was Captain Trevelyan's house. The man who was murdered at Exhampton. Yes, wasn't it dreadful? You don't mind talking about it? No. 
No, of course not. Why should I? The table turning sounds absolutely gruesome. Oh, it was horrid. We thought at first it was somebody fooling about, only it seemed a very nasty kind of a joke. It must have been rather frightening. Yes, it was. I shall never forget when we turned the lights on, the look on everybody's faces. You could see that Major Burnaby was really rattled by it. And I thought poor little Mr. Rycroft was going to have a heart attack or something. <sighs> and yet he's an expert at psychic research. You'd think he'd be used to that kind of thing. As for Ronnie, he looked as if he'd seen a ghost, actually seen one. Awfully spooky. And then Major Burnaby suddenly made up his mind to go down to Ixhampton. We all tried to stop him and said he'd be buried in a snowdrift, but he would go. And we sat there after he'd gone, all feeling dreadful and worried. And then yesterday morning we got the news. Do you think it was Captain Trevelyan's spirit? Or do you think it was clairvoyance or telepathy? No idea what it was. But I do know that I shall never play around with things like that again. Excuse me, miss, but Cook asked me to give you this. <clears throat> thank you, Grace. It's the recipe for Miss Pursehouse. Oh, thank you. As a matter of fact, you came just in time. This murder business has upset the servants. Goodness knows why. It isn't as if Captain Trevelyan had been killed in this house. Mother lost her temper with them all yesterday evening and sent them packing. Mm. They're going off to lunch. We're going to get two men instead. Somebody to look after the house and a kind of butler chauffeur. I think it'll answer much better. What made you think of coming to live here? Oh, we thought it'd be rather fun. Don't you find it dull in an isolated place like this? Oh, no, I love the country. Well, I'd better be going. Thank you so much, Miss Willett. I do hope your mother will be all right. Oh, she's quite well, really. It's only the servants and all the worry. Of course. Well, let me show you out. I didn't hear the maid turn the key in the lock. Count to ten and let myself in again. Start to look for the gloves I left on the drawing room table. There must be a clue in there somewhere. And was there? Well, I didn't actually find anything, but I did overhear something very interesting. Oh, tell me. I stood around in the hall for a while. I could hear women's voices upstairs, Violet's and her mother's, but it was hard to make out what they were saying. So? Then Violet came down the stairs and we found my gloves. But before she came down, I did just catch a few words. Mrs. Willett said, My God, I can't bear it. Will tonight never come? Oh, very odd. Oh, we've got to find out what's going to happen tonight. Of course, it may be nothing at all. But the servants are being cleared out of the way very deliberately. Well, no one would sack all of them just like that. Mm. And another thing, the Willets don't come from South Africa at all. Miss Pursehouse found out that they come from Australia. Really? Now, that is interesting. Mm. Something queer is going to happen at Cityford House tonight, and you're going to be on the spot to see what it is. Do you mean I have to spend the whole night shivering under a bush in the garden? Well, you don't mind that, do you? Well, journalists are used to that sort of thing, surely. <laughs> what do you mean? Oh, you will do it, won't you? Yeah. Well, very well. Well, Good. I wouldn't want to miss anything. But the fog's coming down again. It won't stop me getting to Exeter, will it? Why do you want to go to Exeter? I have to meet Mr. Dacres there. He's my solicitor, and he's working on Jim's defence. And I think I shall pay a visit to Jim's Aunt Jennifer while I'm there. After all, Exeter isn't very far from Exhampton. Well, meaning she might have nipped over by train and battered her brother over the head and no one would have noticed her absence. Oh, I know it sounds rather improbable, mm. but one has to go into everything. Not that I want it to be Aunt Jennifer. I'd much rather it were Martin Daring. He's an ideal person for a murderer. Always getting telegrams from bookmakers and losing money on horses. It's annoying that he's got such a good alibi. 
A publisher and a literary dinner seem so very unbreakable and respectable. What did you say his name was? Martin Daring. When this dinner was on Friday night? The night of the murder. Well, that's astonishing. You know, I came down to Exhampton on Friday evening. Mm -hmm. Well, there was a lot of information about another story I was going to get from a pal of mine, uh, another reporter, Carruthers, his name is. But I don't see what that has well, to do with... Well, he was coming round to see me at half past six, if he could, before he went to some literary dinner. Well, he covers the highbrow stuff, does Carruthers. Well, and if he couldn't get round, he'd send me a line. Can't you get to the point? Don't be so impatient. Well, Carruthers didn't get round... So he sent me a line. Well, he must have been a bit screwed when he wrote it, because he didn't just give me the stuff I wanted, he gave me a full description of the dinner. Oh, he'd had a rotten time, apparently. Well, there was an empty seat on one side of him where Ruby McColmott, that awful bestseller woman, ought to have been, and an empty seat on the other side where Martin Daring, the novelist... <gasps> what? Yeah, so he moved up next to a poet who was very well known in Blackheath and tried to make the best of things. So Daring wasn't at the dinner at all? Exactly. You're sure you remember the name right? Positive. There's the publisher still, of course. The one he's supposed to have spent the afternoon with. But I rather think he was just going back to America. And if so, that looks fishy. I mean, it looks as though he'd selected someone who couldn't be checked up on without rather a lot of trouble. Do you really think we've hit it? Well, it looks like it. I think the best thing to do is to go straight to that nice Inspector Narricott and tell him these new facts. Hmm. I mean, we can't tackle an American publisher who's in the middle of the Atlantic. That's a job for the police. Now, you'd better find out how I can get to Exhampton. The man at the smithy has a car of sorts, I believe. And there's just one other thing I want to do before leaving Sitterford. Well, what's that? I'm going to pay a call on Mr. Duke. He's the only person in Sitterford I haven't seen, and he was one of the people at the table turning. Oh, that's easy. We pass his cottage on the way to the smithy. Well, well, well. Do you see what I see? What? The good inspector coming out of Mr. Duke's oh. cottage. What a coincidence. Hello, Inspector. Uh, sorry? Emily Trefuses. Oh, of course. Hello. I'm so glad to have met you. There are one or two things I want to talk to you about. Uh, delighted, Miss Trefuses, but I'm afraid you'll have to look sharp. I have a car waiting. I've got to get back to Exhampton almost immediately. Oh, how very fortunate. Could you give me a lift, Inspector? Um, oh, I'd be very pleased to do so, Miss Trefuses. Will you go and get my suitcase, Charles? It's all ready. Right you are. Um, uh, I didn't expect to see you in Sitterford, Mr. Fuses. I did say au revoir, Inspector. I didn't notice at the time. You've not seen the last of me by a long way. You've made a mistake, you know. Jim's not the murderer. Indeed. And what's more, I believe you agree with me. Now, what makes you think that? What were you doing in Mr. Duke's cottage? You're doubtful, aren't you? Well, I've got something to tell you that may help. I'll tell you all about it on the way to Exhampton. You must prepare yourself for a shock, Emily. What do you mean, Mr. Dacres? What's happened? Things are much worse for James Pearson than we imagined. Worse? Certain facts have come to light which are bound to go against him. It is those facts which led the police to charge him with the crime. Please tell me. There's no doubt that he was in urgent need of money. He'd been borrowing to use a euphemism from his firm without their knowledge... I, I don't know whether you knew he was fond of speculating in shares. I didn't. Well, on one occasion recently, knowing that certain dividends were to be paid into his account in a week's time, he uh, anticipated them uh, by using the firm's money to buy certain shares, which he had knowledge were bound to go up. 
The transaction was quite satisfactory, and Pearson doesn't seem to have any doubts about its honesty, but, but just over a week ago, he did the same thing again. Oh. But what he didn't know was that the time for examining the firm's books had been brought forward, and he was faced with a very unpleasant dilemma. He knew he would be found out, and he was quite unable to raise the money. As a last resort, he rushed down to try to persuade his uncle to help him. This, Captain Trevelyan, resolutely refused to do. So you see, my dear Emily, the police have a very pressing motive for the crime. Mm. The moment Captain Trevelyan was dead, Pearson could easily have obtained the necessary sum as an advance from Mr. Kirkwood, saved himself from disaster and probable criminal prosecution. Oh, the idiot. The absolute idiot. But, Mr. Dacres, do you believe that he did it? Curiously enough, I do not. He hasn't, if you will allow me to say so, Emily, of a very high standard of commercial honesty. Mm. But I do not believe for one moment that he sandbagged his uncle. Well, that's a good thing. Mm. I only wish the police thought the same. Uh, can I offer you another cup of coffee? No, thank you. I have got quite a lot to fit in while I'm here. Where are you off to now, then? I'm off to see Jim's Aunt Jennifer. Uh. She isn't expecting me, so uh, I'm not certain what kind of reception I'll get. Mrs. Gardner's out at the moment, but she should be back shortly. Would you care to wait? Thank you, I will. I'm Emily Trefusis, Jim Pearson's fiancée. Oh, the man who's been arrested. I mean... Oh, I'm sorry, miss. Don't worry, it's quite all right. Perhaps you'd like to sit down in the drawing room, miss. Thank you. It must have been a terrible shock for Mrs. Gardner. Yeah, I'm sure it must have been. It's queer to think she was actually at the pictures when her brother was being killed. Oh, I suppose so, miss. But she wasn't to know. Didn't she have some strange kind of vision or premonition? Wasn't it you who met her in the hall when she came in and said she looked quite pale? Oh, no, miss. It wasn't me. I didn't see her come in. It wasn't till I went to take some hot water to her room at seven o'clock that I saw her. It gave me quite a shock to see her lying in the dark on the bed. I see. Will that be all, miss? Yes, thank you. Let's look at the railway timetable. So, where does that get us? Jennifer leaves Exeter St. David's at 3.10. Arrives Exhampton 3.45. Time allowed for going to brother's house and murdering him, say, half an hour to three quarters. So, what are the trains back? There's one at 4.25. But if she wasn't seen before seven, she could have got the 6.10 and could easily have been lying on her bed by the time the maid found her. So, you are Emily Trefusis. Well, this is a surprise. Have you had tea? Well, I... Then we'll have it here. Beatrice? Uh, yes, ma'am. Could you take a tray of tea up to my husband and his nurse and then bring in tea for us? Uh, yes, ma'am. Do you want to talk about things, Emily, or don't you? If you don't, I shall quite understand. It isn't much good talking about them, is it? We can only hope that they find the real murderer quickly. Robert, my husband, has been very upset over all this. He works himself up into such curious states. I suppose it's all part of his illness, really. But he didn't know Captain Trevelyan well, surely. He neither knew him nor cared about him. To be honest, I myself can't pretend any great sorrow over his death. He was a cruel, grasping man, Emily. He knew the struggle we have had and the poverty. He knew that a loan of money at the right time might have given Robert special treatment that would have made all the difference. Well, 
retribution has overtaken him. Surely there must be something that... Oh, it may still not be too late. I wrote to the lawyers in Exhampton today to ask them if I could have a certain sum of money in advance. The treatment I have in mind has been described by some as a quack remedy, but it has been successful in a large number of cases. How wonderful it would be if he could walk again. Aren't you feeling well, dear? You look quite pale. No, it's all right. I, I just feel a bit tired, that's all. Oh, you poor child. Oh, it's so unfair that Jim should be arrested. I only wish that somebody could do something about it. Go and help to meet your cousin, Mr. Enderby. Oh, goodness no, Mrs. Curtis. Uh, Emily won't be back tonight. She's staying down in Exeter. Then why are you putting your overcoat on? Oh, just going out for a stroll. At this time of night, in this weather, you'll catch your dad. Oh, nothing like a breath of fresh air before turning in. I hope you've got your key. I shan't be disturbing you. Good night. Ah, she's right, of course. Nobody in their right mind would be out on a night like this. Just like a woman waltzing off to Exeter and leaving me to do the dirty work. Thank God I remembered to bring a hip flask. Now, one solitary light in Sitterford House. Those two women will be there all by themselves. Will tonight never come? What did she really mean? God, it's cold and the fog's getting worse. Twenty to twelve, it feels like four in the morning. Oh, well, here goes. Standing out there, the fair Violet, I think, waving a torch. Oh, she's coming this way. Someone's answering. She's flashing the torch. Someone's moving out of the bushes. I must get a closer look at him. Damn! There's someone there. What the hell do they think you're oh, doing? Let go of me, bloody snooper. That's got you, you bastard. Switch on the light, Violet. Let's have a look at him. The man who's staying in the village. He's a reporter. Easy. What are you doing, you slimy little toad, nosing around private grounds at this time of night? What's your name? My name is Charles Enderby. You haven't told me yours. That's no concern of yours. Oh, you're wrong there. And I think I know what it is. What the devil do you mean? I think that I have the pleasure of addressing Mr. Brian Pearson, lately returned from Australia. Is that so? In the fourth part of The Sitterford Mystery by Agatha Christie, Emily Trefusis was played by Melinda Walker and Charles Enderby by Stephen Tomkinson. Mrs. Curtis, Barbara Atkinson. Rycroft, John Moffat. Ronnie Garfield, Nigel Greaves. Miss Pershouse, Margaret Courtney. Dora, Jane Slavin. And Inspector Narricott was played by Geoffrey Whitehead. Violet, Victoria Carling. Mr. Dakers, David King. Beatrice, Alice Arnold. Mrs. Gardner, Anna Cropper. And Brian Pearson, Charles Simpson. The Sitterford Mystery was dramatized and directed by Michael Bakewell. The Sitterford Mystery by Agatha Christie 
dramatized in five parts by Michael Bakewell, with Melinda Walker as Emily Trefusis, Stephen Tomkinson as Charles Enderby, and Jeffrey Whitehead as Inspector Narakos. Part five, the second seance. The time is 1931. It's you. Hello. I hope I'm not butting in, Major. No, of course not. Go in. Wipe your feet on the mat, if you don't mind. Have a drink? Uh, no, thanks. As a matter of fact, I dropped in to see if we couldn't get together. I've got to see a fellow in Exeter, so I need to go down to Exhampton. And I gather you've booked the chap from the old forge to take you down there. I've got to go over Trevelyan's things. Police are done with the place now. You see, I thought we might go down together and share and share alike, as it were. Well, certainly, I agree. Do you know anything about this uh, other Pearson chap that's turned up at Sitterford House? There he was, as large as life this morning, and nobody knows where he's come from. It's worrying my aunt no end. I believe he's staying at the Willits. Yes, but where did he blow in from? Even the Willits haven't got a private aerodrome. You know, I think there's something very mysterious about that Pearson fellow. It's my impression that he's the chap who did in poor old Trevelyan. Do you think so? Well, fellows that go off to the colonies are usually bad hats. And this particular bad hat comes back, tries to touch his uncle for a sum of money, and bats him one when he won't cough up. That's my theory anyway. What do you think? I think you should mention it to the police. Thank you for coming over, Narakot. I thought it was time we reviewed your progress on the case. Do sit down. Thank you, sir. Your men didn't waste much time tracking down that escaped convict. Uh, he didn't have much of a chance, poor devil. The fog came down just as soon as he'd made his escape. He walked right round in a circle, did about 20 miles to find himself about half a mile from Princetown at the end of it. Fremantle Freddy. I've run across him before. Quite a dangerous character. I'm not really certain about him, sir. He's a kind of Jekyll and Hyde personality. Half the time he passed as an educated, respectable, wealthy man, and then something inside him would snap, and he'd just disappear into the underworld. I'm not at all sure that Broadmoor wouldn't be the best place for him. That's not really our concern. Anything new on the Trevelyan case? I'm not entirely happy about it, sir. You don't think we've got the right man? I'm not satisfied. To start with, everything pointed the one way, but now uh, it's different. Mm. The evidence against Pearson remains the same. Yes, but there's a good deal of further evidence come to light, sir. There's this other Pearson, Brian, who suddenly turned up out of the blue. Because I was so certain that it was James Pearson who was our man, I simply accepted the statement that Brian Pearson was in Australia. Now it turns out that he was in England all the time. It seems he's been here for two months, travelled on the same boat as the Willets, apparently. Really? He had some sort of shipboard romance with the girl. But he never communicated with his family, and neither his sister nor his brother knew he was in England. On Thursday of last week, he left the Ormsby Hotel in Russell Square and drove to Paddington. From then until Tuesday night, when Enderby ran into him, he refuses to account for his movements in any way. You pointed out to him the gravity of such a course of action. Said he didn't give a damn. It had nothing to do with the murder, and it was up to us to prove he had. A cool customer. Why didn't he come forward before if he's as innocent as he professes to be? His uncle's death was in all the papers on Saturday, his brother was arrested on Monday, yet he made no attempt to come forward. 
He wouldn't have either if that journalist hadn't run across him at Sidderford House last night. What did Pearson say he was doing there? He said he'd come to see Miss Willett. She came out of the house to meet him because she didn't want her mother to know about it. That's their story. It's my belief, sir, that if Enderby hadn't run him to earth, he would never have come forward. He'd have gone back to Australia and claimed the inheritance from there. <laughs> Quite a live wire, that Mr Enderby. I'd like to meet him. Oh. There's another piece of information he's put my way. It concerns Martin Daring, the novelist. He's married to the third Pearson, Sylvia. Daring told me he'd spent the afternoon with a publisher and went to a literary dinner in the evening. But Enderby has irrefutable evidence that he wasn't at the dinner at all. It doesn't necessarily mean the man's a murderer. I've checked with the train timetables. It would have been just possible for him to have killed the captain, got back home again before midnight. It's a bit far-fetched, but I think I'd better look into it. Yes, get on to it at once. I still think the evidence against James Pearson is pretty conclusive, but you'd better follow up the daring alibi. I don't think I understand you, Inspector. I think you do, sir. You were not at the literary dinner at the Sissel Hotel on Friday night. Well, supposing I wasn't, what the hell has that to do with you? What have my movements five hours after my wife's uncle was murdered got to do with you or anyone else? You made a certain statement to us, Mr. Daring, and I want that statement verified. Part of it has already proved to be untrue. I've got to check up on the other half. You say you lunched and spent the afternoon with your American publisher. Can you tell me his name? Edgar Rosencrown. And his address? Well, he's left England. He sailed for New York on Saturday. Then he'll still be at sea. What boat is he on? <laughs> I really have no idea. You'll cable his firm in New York. They'll know. It was the Berengaria. Thank you, Mr. Terry. I thought you'd remember it. What are you going to do? Wireless Mr. Rosencrown on board ship. Oh, damn it all. You'll involve me in all kinds of trouble. At least let me write to him myself. You don't know what these Americans are like. Any hint of me being involved in a police matter and my new contract will be finished. Oh, will uh, this suffice? Please confirm my statement. I was with you. Lunchtime until four o'clock, Friday the 14th. I have no objection to that, Mr. Daring. All I want is the truth. What a tea... Scones and jam. Thank you. So, what do you think of Brian Pearson? A person to be reckoned with, certainly. He's quite unscrupulous, I should think, and if he wanted anything, I don't think he'd let ordinary conventional standards get in his way. He's not plain tame English, and he fulfills all the conditions. Well, how do you mean? Well, number one motive. The same motive, £20,000. Number two, opportunity. Well, nobody knows where he was on Friday afternoon, but we can assume that he was in the neighbourhood. Any other conditions? Well, yes. We can't ignore that queer business of the table turning. None of the six people present could have been the actual murderer, but one of them might have been in collusion with a murderer and might have given the game away without meaning to do so. An unconscious piece of self-revelation. There's no link between Major Burnaby and anyone else. And the same applies to Garfield, Rycroft, and Duke. But when we come to the Willets, it's different. There's a link between Violet Willett and Brian Pearson. Those two are on very intimate terms. And that girl was all on the jump after the murder. You think she knew? Oh, well, she and her mother. There's something very... Oh. What's the matter? Do you know that strange feeling you get when someone's looking at you? 
I feel now as if someone's eyes were burning the back of my neck. Is it all fantasy, or is somebody really staring at me? There's a woman at a table in the window. She's staring at you. Oh. Hello. What is it? Ronnie Garfield. He's just come in. He's shaking hands with her. I think she's saying something about us. I'll see if I can see her in my pocket mirror. I'm sure my nose could do with a dab of powder. It's Aunt Jennifer. They're getting up. They're going. Do you want to speak to her? No. I think it's better to pretend I haven't seen her. Well, anyway, why shouldn't they have tea together? Oh, don't you see? It's another link between who was at the seance and Captain Trevelyan's family. Uh, it shows you never know. It shows that you are always having to begin again. In more ways than one. What do you mean? Nothing at present. We've got to get through this first. Afterwards. Afterwards. I followed up your lead about Mr. Daring, Mr. Fusis, and sent a cable to that American publisher friend of his about the long lunch they had together. At first he confirmed Daring's story, but I still had my suspicions, so I sent him another cable. Do you want to see what I said? Oh, yes. Information needed re-murder of Captain Trevelyan. Do you support Martin Daring's statement of alibi for Friday afternoon? And here's what he replied. Had no idea it was a criminal case. Did not see Martin Daring Friday. Agreed to support his statement because I believed his wife was having him watched for divorce proceedings. How men do stick together? Poor Sylvia. In some ways, I really do think men are beasts. That's why it's so nice when one finds a man on whom one really can rely. I've gone further than I should in letting you know about this. Well, I think it's adorable of you. I shall never forget it. Well, mind. Not a word to anybody. You mean I'm not to tell Mr. Enderby? Journalists will be journalists. Inspector, tell me, who is Mr. Duke? You remember, we met you coming out of his cottage in Cityford. Ah, yes, of course. Oh. To tell the truth, I thought I would like to have an independent account of that table-turning business. Major Burnaby's not a first-rate hand at description. I see. Mr. Duke seems to lead such a blameless life, but perhaps he hasn't always led a blameless life, and perhaps the police know that? You like guessing, don't you, Mr. Fusis? When people don't tell you things, you have to guess. Well, I won't keep you any longer. I can see I'm not going to get any further on this one. But uh, thank you again, Inspector. Goodbye. Au revoir, Mr. Fusis. <laughs> Yes, Inspector? Was it as I thought? Quite right, sir. But it wasn't the duchy at Princetown. It was the hotel at Two Bridges. Well, that settles it all right. Anything else? Yes, sir. Brian Pearson sailed from Australia on the Phidias. She touched at Cape Town, but no passengers of the name of Willett were aboard. There was a Mrs. and Miss Johnson from Melbourne who answered the description of the Willets. Mm. Probably neither Johnson nor Willett is the right name. I think I've got them taped out all right. Good. That's enough to be getting on with. <sighs> Looks as if Mrs. Curtis has gone to bed. She's left us some supper. You've got a letter, Emily. Oh. Exhampton Postmark. Let's see. Oh, it's from Mrs. Belling at the Three Crowns. Dear Miss Trefusis, you said as how you would like to hear if anything at all should happen that was in any way out of the common, even if not important. My niece has stumbled upon something which she says isn't of any importance, but rather peculiar. 
The police said that nothing was taken from Captain Trevelyan's house, but it seems that a pair of his boots is missing, which Evans noticed when he was going over the things. The boots were the thick kind you rub oil into, which the captain would have worn if he had gone out in the snow. But as he didn't go out in the snow, it doesn't make any sense. I don't suppose it is of any importance, but I thought I ought to let you know. Boots. Oh, it must mean something. Boots suggest something to do with footprints. I know, but footprints don't seem to enter into this case. I give it up. Well, I'm not going to give it up. I'm going to get to the bottom of it. Hello there, Mr. Rycroft. Oh, good afternoon, Ronnie. You going where I'm going? To the Willits? Yes, of course. My aunt says it's unfeeling of them to invite people to tea so soon after the funeral and all that.、Mm. But that's all bunkum. Trevelyan wasn't a relation of theirs or anything like that. And even so, Mrs. Willett seems to have taken it all rather hard. She's aged about twenty years in the last week.、Mm. Trevelyan's death must have been the most frightful shock to her in some way or other. Perhaps she knew the old boy rather better than she let on. Queer if she turned out to be the old man's long-lost wife, who he deserted in his youth and didn't recognise. Oh, it doesn't seem likely. Dreadful to think that just a week ago we were trudging up to the Willets just as we are now.、Mm. Seems infinitely longer. Yeah, oh, there's Burnaby. Afternoon, Major. Aren't you coming to the Willets? I don't think so. They sent a note asking me. Well, I, I don't feel like it. All the same, Major. I wish you would come. I've,、uh, I've, I've got a reason. Reason? Well, what sort of reason? I'd like to try an experiment. What sort of experiment? Well, I'd rather not tell you beforehand, but I shall need you to back me up when the time comes. Will you do that?、Oh, all sounds very mysterious, but you can count on me. I give you my word. I'll go and get my hat. So splendid of you all to turn out, Violet. Just make sure the tea's ready. Yes, mother. So frightful without any servants. You know, Mr. Pearson, I think. Of course. How do you do? Yes, how do you do, Mr. Rycroft, Major? This will be our last little gathering, I'm afraid. Oh, you don't mean it? Yes, Mr. Rycroft. We have to forego the rest of the winter in Sitterford.、Oh. Personally, of course, I love it—the snow and the tours and the wildness of it all. But the domestic problem is too difficult. It defeats me. I thought you were going to get a chauffeur, butler, and a handyman. No, no, I've had to give up on that idea. This is going to be a terrible blow to us all, you know. When are you going? On Monday, I expect, unless we can get away tomorrow. So soon? And where are you off to? Oh, London at first, and then we may go to the Riviera. Well, it will be a great loss. Too kind of you, Mr. Rycroft. Well, shall we have tea? And、uh, <clears throat> what about you, Mr. Pearson? Are you off too? No, I shall go to London. Naturally, I shan't go abroad until my brother's cleared of this ridiculous charge. Never believed he did it. Not for a moment. None of us think so. Well, that'll be Mr. Duke. Let him in, will you, Brown? Yes, of course. Ah,、uh, it's not Mr. Duke. It's that damn journalist. Well, you'll have to let him in, just the same. Always poking his nose in where he's least wanted. Hello, Mrs. Willett. I thought I'd just drop in to see how things were. I wondered where everyone in Sitterford had got to. Now I know. Do have some tea, Mr. Enderby. Awfully nice of you. Emily isn't here then. I suppose she must be with your aunt, Mr. Garfield. Hmm. Not that I know of. I thought she'd gone to Exhampton. Ah,、uh, no, she's back from there. I saw the car go past the post office. 
Still, I don't think it's a vital problem. Do you play bridge, Mr. Enderby? We were just going um, to... Uh, just a moment, Mrs. Willis. May I say something? Of course. As you know, I am deeply interested in psychic phenomena. A week ago, in this very room, we all had an amazing experience. It was horrible. Yes, I know, my dear Miss Willis, I know. However, although the police arrested James Pearson for the murder... Some of us in this room do not believe him to be the guilty party. Now, what I would like to propose is that we repeat the experience of last Friday. No, no. Though approaching it this time in a rather different spirit. I say, that's a bit thick, after what happened last time. Uh, Mrs. Willard, what do you say? Frankly, Mr. Rycroft, I do not like the idea. That miserable business last week made a most disagreeable impression on me. What are you getting at exactly? Are you proposing that the spirit should tell us the name of Captain Trevelyan's murderer? <laughs> that seems a pretty tall order. Yes, but it was a pretty tall order, as you call it, to tell us that the captain was dead. I am in earnest, Mrs. Willett. I beg of you, let us make the experiment. I don't like it. I really don't. Major Burnaby, you were Captain Trevelyan's friend. What do you say? Is this what you referred to earlier, Rycroft? It is. I don't like the idea, but I promised I'd back you up. Let's try it. Since Mr. Duke isn't here, perhaps Mr. Pearson will take his place. Brian, I beg you, please don't. Ah, what does it matter? It's all nonsense anyway. Now, that is not the right spirit. Uh, Mr. Enderby... I'm not in on this, and you probably wouldn't trust me anyway. I'll take shorthand notes of any phenomena. That's the right word, isn't it? Uh, good. Uh, then, uh, could you turn the lights off, Mr. Enderby? Just a minute. What's the time? Twenty-five past five. Exactly the time that... Turn the lights off. Oh, I don't like this. Silence, please. Is anyone there? Is anyone there? It's all right. That's the front door. I'll go and see who it is. I'll put the lights on. Emily. It's the police. John Burnaby, I charge you with the murder of Joseph Trevelyan on Friday the 14th instant. And I hereby warn you that anything you may say will be taken down and may be used in evidence. But how on earth could Burnaby have killed Trevelyan? Well, it isn't humanly possible. If Trevelyan was killed at five and twenty past five... He wasn't. He was killed at about six o'clock. Well, but even then... Well, I know. You'd never guess unless you happen to think about it. Skis. Skis? I don't understand you. I'll explain. Burnaby deliberately engineered the table turning. When he saw that it was going to snow again before very long, he created the impression that Captain Trevelyan was dead and got everyone worked up. Then he pretended to be very upset and insisted on starting for Exhampton. Yes, but I still don't... He went home, buckled on his skis, which were kept in a shed in the garden with a lot of other tackle, and started. It's a wonderful run to Exhampton, all downhill. It would only take ten minutes. So it would. He arrived at the back window and rapped. Trevelyan, all unsuspecting, let him in. Then, when Captain Trevelyan's back was turned, he picked up that sandbag thing and killed him. Wow, horrible. He had plenty of time. 
He wiped and cleaned the skis and put them in the cupboard in the dining room, pushed in amongst all the golf clubs and fishing tackle. Then I suppose he forced the window and pulled out all the drawers and things to make it look as though someone had broken in. A rafty devil! Then, just before eight o'clock, all he had to do was go out, make a detour onto the road higher up, and come puffing and panting into Exhampton, just as though he'd walked all the way from Sitterford and go straight to the police station. As long as no one thought of skis, he had a perfect alibi, and another fall of snow had covered up all his traces by then. But they were friends, Burnaby and Trevelyan, old friends. I mean, it's unthinkable. <laughs> That's what I thought. I couldn't see why. That's why I had to come and see Inspector Narricot and Mr. Duke. And between us, we got the thing clear. Mr. Duke? Do you remember telling me, Charles, that Evans mentioned that Captain Trevelyan used to send in solutions to competitions in his name? Well, yes, because he was worried they'd think Sitterford House too grand an address. Well, that's what he did in the football competition you gave Major Burnaby £5,000 for. It was Captain Trevelyan's solution, really. And he sent it in in Burnaby's name. Number one, the cottage is Sitterford. Sounds a pretty humble address. So Major Burnaby did get our letter on Friday morning telling him he'd won £5,000. Now, he wanted that £5,000. Wanted it badly. He'd invested in some shares which had gone wrong and lost a lot of money. The idea must have come into his head quite suddenly, I should think. Perhaps when he realised it was going to snow that evening. If Trevelyan were dead... He wouldn't have to hand the money over, and no one would ever know. But, my dear young lady, how did you come to learn all this? And what, what put you on the right track? It was quite by chance, really. Mrs. Belling had told me that a pair of Captain Trevelyan's boots were missing. It seemed odd somehow. And I became convinced that if I could find them, they would provide me with a clue as to what had happened. I got Mr. Kirkwood to give me the key to Captain Trevelyan's house. Major Burnaby had cleared out some of the cups and trophies, but otherwise the place was still untouched. And did you find the boots? Yes, I did. They'd been stuffed up the chimney. <laughs> they were ski boots. And I remembered I'd seen two pairs of skis in the cupboard. I looked and found that one pair was longer than the other. The boots fitted the longer pair of skis. The toe clips on the shorter pair were adjusted for a much smaller pair of boots. And they were the skis that belonged to Captain Trevelyan. The other pair were Major Burnaby's. He ought to have hidden them somewhere else. Well, no, where else could he hide them? And it wasn't likely that the police would notice whether Captain Trevelyan had two pairs of skis, particularly with so much other junk in there. But I still don't see why Burnaby hid the boots in the chimney. Everything depended on nobody thinking about skis. I suppose he thought that the skis were safe buried away in the cupboard, but a pair of ski boots lying around might just start somebody thinking. Which is what they did to you. Yeah. Is that everything? Yes, why? Well, because if that's it, I want to rush to the telegraph office and get in touch with my paper. <coughs> Excuse me, everybody. Oh, so that's that. You look worn out. What you need is a pick-me-up. Brandy? What I need is a powder puff and some lipstick. What with all the excitement? Come up to my room. You can use mine. Ah, oh, that's better. I feel almost human. You've been wonderful. Oh, not really. Underneath it all, I've been wobbly as a jelly with a sort of sick feeling in my middle. Oh, no. I felt much the same myself. 
I've been so terrified about Brian. But surely no one really suspected him. Well, they couldn't get him for killing Captain Trevelyan. But if once he'd said where he was during that time, they'd have soon found out that it was he who organised my father's escape. What did you say? You may as well know now. Father was the convict who escaped. That's oh. why Mother and I came here. Poor father, for years he hasn't been really right in the head. Something odd comes over him and then he does these dreadful things. We met Brian on the way over. He and I, we fell in love. And he wanted to do everything in his power to help. Brian worked out a way to get father out of Princetown. The arrangement was that after father escaped, he was to go straight across country and hide in the Pixies' cave. And then later, he and Brian were to be our two men servants. So that was why you got rid of all the servants. And then the fog came down and it all went wrong. I'm so awfully sorry. Poor father. He isn't really responsible for his actions. Can't anything be done? He's very ill. The exposure and the awful cold out on the moor. He's got pneumonia. I can't help feeling that if he doesn't pull through, it may almost be the best thing. Oh, you poor love. Brian's been so wonderful. It isn't everyone who'd want to marry a convict's daughter. What about Brian's brother? Are you still going to... Well, that's just it. I told you Burnaby was a jealous man. Friends, indeed. <laughs> For more than 20 years, Trevelyan had done everything better than Burnaby. He skied better, and he climbed better, and he shot better, and he did crossword puzzles better. <laughs> Burnaby was a small-natured, narrow-minded man. He let it get on his nerves. I'm sure you're right. I had to come and tell you, Miss Pursehouse. It seems so unfair that you should be out of everything. Uh -huh. By the way... Did you know that your nephew knew my Aunt Jennifer? I saw them having tea together. I almost suspected them for a time. <laughs> the only thing Ron is guilty of is sponging. She's his godmother. He's always saying he's going to see a fellow in Exeter. Well, I must be on my way. I've got a lot to do. Now, what have you got to do, young woman? I should say you've done your bit. Well, not quite. I must go up to London and see Jim's insurance company people and persuade them not to prosecute him over that little matter of borrowed money. And do you think you'll be able to persuade them? Yes. And then? Then what? Which of them? Which of them is to be the fortunate man? Emily! I've been looking for you everywhere. Have you telegraphed your paper? The whole story. They're wild about it. Well, what a scoop. <laughs> but there's just one thing, though. Tell me about the mysterious Mr. Duke. Ah, oh, that's just the point. He isn't Mr. Duke. He's ex-Chief Inspector Duke, late of Scotland Yard. Oh, that's fantastic. When he retired, he came to live up here, and being nice and modest, he didn't want people to know about him. He did keep his eyes and ears open, though. That's why Narricot kept popping over to see him. So that ties everything up. Mm. Except for one little thing. And what's that? Us. Us. Well, I don't have to play the game over poor Jim Pearson anymore. Now he's out of danger. Well, you know that I'm crazy about you, and, and you like me. Well, as for Pearson, well, anyone can make a mistake. The question is, would you prefer a registry office or a church or what? Nothing doing. Huh? No. But Emily... If you want to know, I, I love Jim passionately. But you can't. I can, and I do. But you made me think... I said that it was wonderful to have someone one could rely on. Yes, but I thought... Well, I can't help what you thought. You've got your scoop. You're a made man. You don't need me. 
No really strong man needs a woman. She only holds him back. I've never heard such rubbish. It's like one of those plays here on a wireless. You've broken my heart. I've done no such thing. Oh, look, there's Mr. Duke coming out of his cottage. Go and grab him. Persuade him to give you an exclusive interview. Do you think he would? No harm in trying. You're right. I'll give it a go. Uh, uh, Mr. Duke, I'll say just a moment. You don't think that maybe you're making a mistake, miss? You're sure the other young gentleman is worth as much as Mr. Enderby? Oh, no, he isn't. Well... Charles Enderby is the kind of young man who is simply bound to get on. But I simply do not know what would happen to Jim if I weren't there to look after him. Look where he'd be now if it weren't for me. In The Last Part of the Sitterford Mystery by Agatha Christie, Emily Trefusis was played by Melinda Walker. Charles Enderby, Stephen Tomkinson. Inspector Narricott, Geoffrey Whitehead, and Major Burnaby, Norman Bird. Elwood was played by Jack May. Martin Daring, David Googe. Rycroft, John Moffat. Ronnie Garfield, Nigel Greaves. Mrs. Willett, Susan Westerby. Violet, Victoria Carling. And Brian Pearson, Charles Simpson. Miss Pursehouse was played by Margaret Courtney. Mrs. Curtis by Barbara Atkinson, and The Policeman by Vincent Brimble. The Sitterford Mystery was dramatised and directed by Michael Bakewell. been a nostalgic mystery radio presentation i hope you enjoyed this episode please feel free to like and rate this podcast on your favorite app also there's a nostalgic mystery radio youtube page for your perusal to subscribe to you can contact me by emailing me at nostalgicmysteryradio at gmail.com i hope you have a blessed day or evening and again thank you for listening